What day is it? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Lord Hump, the show where we take someone who's never played a video game and explain the horrid, horrid, convoluted plots that haunt our dreams. <laughs> I'm your, I'm Chase. And I'm here with... Monty Zander, who normally opens up the episodes, but Chase wanted to give it a go. That's because you were stood there stalling, like you didn't know what to say. <laughs> so, uh, full transparency, you might hear somebody giggling to our left. That's Neil, in fact. Say hi, Neil. Hi. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, I love uh, when Neil's here with us. Uh, so, uh, to, to my left, I have the Nubis Humanis, my fiancé, uh, who is joining us for a little bit of today's episode on Bioshock. Um, Chase, can you explain why the Nubis has had to join us? Oh, Neil, Neil's uh, Neil's been unwell. We're we're here on a over over at Monty's. We we crashed at his last night. We're having a wonderful recording weekend, and he's woken up violently ill. Violently ill. <laughs> um. So all the all the best wishes to him. We yes. went, we sent sent him off to his bed. Said go get some fluids from you. So this might feel a little bit strange for, for subscribers and people who listen to every episode because what you will have right now is you'll have Red Dead Redemption 2 Part 1, Red Dead Redemption 2 Part 2, and then out of the blue comes an episode of Bioshock. So the plan is very simple. After this episode, we are then going to jump and finish Red Dead Redemption doing One and Undead Nightmare, where Neil will be back in the chair narrating, telling us the story. Um, but And then after that, we'll be picking up with Bioshock 2, Bioshock Infinite and Burial at Sea. But so that you don't have a month where you don't have any lore dump, um, <laughs> Chase, myself, and the Nubis, who has kindly joined us, um, will be covering Bioshock 1 today. That's all right for Neil, because Neil knows Bioshock like the back of his hand. So he'll be able to jump back in for Bioshock 2, no problem. I, as per standard for one of your guys recording, know very, very little. <laughs> yes, yes, which is fantastic. So yeah, so Chase, what do you know about Bioshock 1? More than I know about some games. I've played the first... 10 15 minutes of Bioshock 1 mm. and I've played like the first hour of Bioshock Infinite. Okay. But of course, you can't escape the aesthetics of Bioshock everywhere. I know I know your big daddies. I know your little sisters in Bioshock 1 and your underwater city whose name I do know but I can't for the life of me remember. Rapture. It's Rapture. Rapture. Um I, I I know all the aesthetics and the things that kind of have permeated into pop culture. Um I do remember the last thing I remember in Infinite is you're walking through what feels like it's kind of like a world fair in your floating city that I, its name I do not remember. I remember everyone's very racist. There's a lot of historical uh, cutouts and signposts all over the place. And then you meet Elizabeth and the last thing I remember is zip lining off of like a hot air balloon or like a blimp or something. Okay. And then I stopped playing because I don't like shooters. You know a lot more <laughs> about Infinite than I think you do. Nubis, what do you know about Bioshock? Uh, I watched you play some. You did? Um, From a I don't really remember. Um, no, <laughs> I, yeah, I remember it's like saying like old timey, like 40s type aesthetic and that's all I really remember. That's cool. honest, I, I, I feel like we're vibing on just the aesthetics. Like Bioshock's mm. aesthetics alone have permeated so much. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and numerous, numerous um, other games have come back to try to recapture the Bioshock formula. There was one in the most recent PS5 showcase where I'm just sat there the whole time, I'm texting you as it's going on, where I'm like, is this a Bioshock? Is there a new Bioshock game? So, um, because yes. it just felt like 
identical to... Do you remember what that one is called? Judas. That's the one. Um, so, yeah, we'll talk... Well, I can get straight into it with this then, right? So, a couple of things before we begin, and a couple of things for the listeners to know before we begin. So, number one, Bioshock. Bioshock 1. Bioshock? Bioshock. Bioshock. Re- <laughs> released in... Oh, yeah, Neil's not here, so I can do all my voices. <laughs> <laughs> can we not do them when Neil's here? Neil hates my voices. <laughs> You let me get away with them. It's because uh, Neil's considerably better. I can't wait for you. Yes, they are. They absolutely are. I cannot wait for you all to hear my Irish accent. I'm scared. My German accent. I'm horrified. Oh. oh. It's great. You you still have some time. Are you sure that you want this forever? Yeah, I know. I know. So, okay. So, Bioshock released in 2007, released by a company called Irrational Games and headed by the creative director... Ken Levine. Now, the reason why that ties in with what you were saying about Some fairly early 2000s hair. Yeah, yes, right? Yes. Very spiky Ooh. hair. Ken Levine, best known for his work on System Shock 2. So Bioshock ended up being a bit of a spiritual successor to the System Shock games. Oh. Um, so, so I know that is, name, I know nothing more. <laughs> that's fair. So why this is relevant is because Ken Levine, after Bioshock Infinite, left, took some of the development team with him, and we'll talk about that when we get to Bioshock Infinite, okay. and Judas is his new game. It has been plagued by development hell. Real, like, crunch stuff. It's crazy. We were shocked when we got that trailer because a lot of people thought that we're never going to see what that game is. So we're kind of... Are we about to take that as then another spiritual successor to, like, Bioshock? Or are we expecting that they'll ever put out more Bioshock, or... Ah, okay, so so uh, rumor has it there is a Bioshock 3 in the works. Oh, not Bioshock 3, because Infinite's technically 3. Bioshock 4 in the works. Mm-hmm. Uh, not headed up by Ken Levine, um, diff- different company, and there's rumors that it takes place in Antarctica, in a facility in Antarctica set during a civil war of some capacity. Okay. We don't know anything else, and we don't even know if that rumor is true. Huh. So we haven't seen anything else. So uh, things like Infinite, the stuff you know about Infinite, Judas, just put it all out of your mind. None of it matters. Okay. <laughs> None of it is relevant for okay, what we're cool. talking about good, today. Good, good. Uh, yeah, Ken Levine. Ken Levine, creative director of Bioshock. It's a funny one, Bioshock, because it's an amazing game, but a lot of the cool parts of its story happened before the game begins. <laughs> so for a lot of the game, you are just like wandering through, learning about all the, that cool stuff that happened. There are characters and stuff, but a lot of the story beats aren't delivered through big cutscenes and conversations, but yep. instead through environmental storytelling, audiologues, stuff like that. Cool. Because of that, I am not just going to use the game. If I did, a lot of this episode would be me saying, oh, you see a poster and that means this. And it, it starts to not flow and it, you start to not get... Cool, cool, the cool. image on the screen mm. is horrifying because I, I'm sure... Oh, God. I'm sure that... I know, what, what are you seeing for content? I'm seeing a poster of a rapture masquerade ball in the year 1959 featuring a bunny mask, mm. which horrifies me because I know exactly where you're going in bringing in book lore, which is currently plaguing another lore fandom featuring numerous rabbit imagery. Can you explain? Our beloved Five Nights at Freddy's lore oh. fandom. Oh, I see. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm scared to bring books in um, because books have been the nightmare of that community mm. since they started. Yeah, we're not going to go to. It's just to add some 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 structure for my okay, sake. Cool. We are we are not to to clarify, and I'm I'm saying this now. Future series, we are not doing a thing where we've got episodes for books. If you want that, um, listen to friend of the channel Pixel It and their podcast because they have a fantastic podcast. In fact, just quick shout out to them. Um, they have a episode where they cover in detail John Shirley's Bioshock book. Oh, 
called Rapture. And it's amazing. It is a great episode. It's a great book as well, to be frank. It's very accessible, very entertaining read. So I'm going to be using that as a baseline, but we are going to be following the structure of the game. I'm just going to be pulling little details from the book to flesh out the world. So it's going to feel a little bit like a history lesson at points. <laughs> no. It is, but the history is so interesting. It is kind of the whole reason we're doing Bioshock in the first place. Um, so that book has been confirmed as canon, mm. and it documents the events leading up to the beginning of the game. If the long-rumored Netflix show ever comes out, it'll probably... Oh, yeah, I forgot that was going to be a thing. It's probably going to follow the events of the book, I believe, if that okay. ever comes out. Um, because, again, the interesting stuff happens before so the game. The, the book is a prequel to Bioshock 1, then? Kind of. It is absolutely a prequel to Bioshock 1. But then why would we cover... Why would the show cover the events of the book and not... Because if games? you just cover the game, what you're going to have is 10 episodes of a man with a gun walking through the ruins of Rapture and staring at posters and listening to audio logs. I mean, they made a Resi show. Uh, true, true, and it was terrible. So <laughs> I uh, liked it. <laughs> the other thing you need to know to get the most out of Bioshock is this woman. Ayn Rand. Can you oh read the quote? I know that name. Oh uh, the God. difference between a welfare state and a totalitarian state is a matter of time. Yeah, yeah. So she wrote stuff like Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead. That's why I know her, yep. Nubis, you know Ayn Rand. Why do you know Ayn Rand? Because you, you had a copy of her book. Atlas Shrugged. And you defaced that book so much and oh. it lived on our coffee table for so long and I was just sick of hearing about her. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely, I, I covered, so for my critique of Bioshock, I read through a bunch of Ayn Rand's work, specifically Atlas Shrugged, but a bunch of other stuff because it is atlas shrugged is is an is an inspiration for bioshock it is yeah. they are looking at ayn rand's philosophy which is called objectivism and they are quite frankly well you don't need to know too much about ayn rand right but she's the founder of objectivism she hates the welfare state thinks taxation is theft and a lot of this philosophy is detailed in her book the virtue of selfishness this is a little reductive of me but she basically believes that if everyone acts in their own self-interest then society as a whole will improve she also yeah, she, yeah. so she also believes that personal free will is the most important thing in the world and thinks stuff like taxation or welfare programs infringe on that free will that's where a lot of her objectivism comes from. Um, she is a Russian immigrant who moved to America, saw capitalism in its best days, you know, back during the 1940s, mm -hmm. uh, just, just before World War II. And her takeaway was, this is way better than the totalitarian communist state I was in. This is amazing. Capitalism is amazing. Screw taxes, basically. So people like Trump, Dennis Prager, the, the Elon Musk. What's that? Is that Prager of Prager U? Prager U. Yeah, yeah. Y you mean the official, uh, the official educational sources of the state of Florida? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Mm. yes. Have you not heard this? No. Explain. Oh my God. Um, Florida has. Uh, God, this episode's going to get very political. And I apologize in advance. It will, and it should, because if you're not, you're not engaging with Bioshock. I'm very sorry. Um, the state of Florida, um, with its oh glorious, glorious leader. Uh, Ron DeSantis recently barred AP Psychology because it discusses um, sex and gender. Um, so psychology has been banned. Um, you can't talk about it because it uh, infringes on their don't say gay bills wow. and laws um, and has replaced it with um, officially, um, according to law, uh, one of the official educational sources that you can use in school is PragerU videos. Oh, wow. Um, so PragerU is now an official educational uh, part of the curriculum. If you want, they are all on YouTube. I'm not going to recommend you watch them because oh, don't boy. give them your time or your money. But like, they are there if you want to see firsthand what Dennis Prager preaches. It's not. But what? It's what? Not, like, give me, give me some summary. Oh God, it's all very traditional family values. Oh, God, traditional, like, 
gender roles. It's all very... No, oh, no, no. Well, here, here's, here's a perfect example. Um, there's a video I've just, I literally just typed PragerU into YouTube to see what the first thing was that came up. Here's a five minute video where the title is, are we living on stolen land? And the conclusion of this video is no. no. <gasps> <gasps> yeah, no, that, that's... And, and as you can imagine, the comment section of this video is absolutely full of people calling Native Americans Indians. So that gives you a bit of a sense of the audience that are, they're speaking about and, and the level of depth and, and yeah. So regardless though, don't stress too much about it. Dennis Prager, scum of the earth. Um, but seemingly similar philosophy to Ayn Rand. Oh, he loves Ayn Rand. He has talked numerous times about how right. much he loves Atlas Shrugged. Donald Trump has talked about Atlas Shrugged. Cool. Um, Elon Musk has talked about The Fountainhead, her, her other works. So they love it. They think she's- All these fantastic people. Oh yeah. So without, with all that in mind, with a, that little bit of setup, Bioshock. <laughs> so, <laughs> with with this as our as our foundation, it absolutely is. So, uh, part one. Twenty minutes in, finally chat by. <laughs> Welcome to Rapture, nineteen sixty, the Mid Atlantic. Our our player character Jack sits on an aeroplane flying over the ocean. He smokes absently, and we hear his voice. They told me, he says, "Son, you're special. You were born to do great things, and you know what? They were right." That is the last time we will hear Jack speak. Oh. Ever. He never speaks again in the game. Okay. Yep, so he is a silent protagonist. Um, the, the the idea there is kind of he's just a vessel for the player. Think Gordon Freeman in Half-Life. He's just our eyes and ears into the game. Classic FPS stuff. Then why did they have him say that? Not just like a disembodied narrator. Mm, but it's just to say, well, it's just to say that this is a man, basically. Here's a man sitting on a plane. And at this point, after this point, he will never speak again, ever plane in the era of being able to smoke on planes. Mm, yeah. Oh. I hate that. So uh, the seatbelt sign clicks on and then boom, everything goes dark. We hear the plane soar into the ocean, big old explosion. And when Jack awakens, he's floating in the sea with the wreck of the plane all around him. All he can see is a lighthouse. Swimming to it, he walks past the huge brass doors with art decor signs etched into them. And just as he catches his breath, the light bursts into life. And what he sees is ominous. A huge bronze statue of a man looms down on him. A fading red banner hangs loosely around it saying, No gods or kings, only man. Well, that's a bit on the nose. Mm. Oh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Uh, no, Bioshock is anything but subtle, which makes it extra funny when people look at this game and legitimately believe that it is pro-objectivism. Because <laughs> it's not at all. Ha! <laughs> Go to the comment section of my critique and people are like, You totally misunderstood this. It's about how great Ayn Rand is. And it's like, what the... F are you talking about, bro? Uh, but anyway, so ah. under the statue is a plaque. With I feel words. like I feel like this isn't going to be our best received episode. I'm not going to lie. I think our audience is going to be fine with this. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Um, you're you're all going to learn a little bit about our personal politics, but to be totally like to give it in a sentence, Question fuck Ayn Rand. Question is baseline because I feel like this is something that would have been pretty cool. Foundation. Mm -hmm. um, is is Rapture like a well known city in the world, or is it like a hidden city? I can tell you this: it is hidden. Okay, so it's not well, it's like a secret society kind of like upper echelons, rich people go there. Ding, no ding, comment. Ding. Okay. No comment. No comment. <laughs> I'm going to assume yes. I won't say much more. So, uh, not for right now. So, underneath the statue with this big banner on it are the words, Where in the world is a place for people like me? Attributed to someone called Andrew Ryan. <laughs> I wonder who that could be. Andrew Ryan, Ayn Rand. You see where this is going, right? So, an in yeah. And uh, so, as as Jack walks down the stairs of the lighthouse, an instrumental version of "Under the Sea" plays. Like that. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, that legitimate, that, that song. Um, and that is very much like the song people, when I hear that song, I can't help but think of Bioshock now. As in, so, as in the Disney? No. <laughs> oh, Sorry. Oh, 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 you meant. No, it's not the Disney. Somewhere beyond the oh, sea. Because yeah. I was like, Sorry, that no, came no, out no, in the 90s. Is. It's my bad. I said it was under the sea. It's beyond the sea is the oh, song. Okay, oh, okay. Fuck, I, I straight was like, under the sea. Under the sea. I was like, it's the Atlantic, but it's fine. It's the same thing. Sorry, no, no, no. It's beyond the sea. Not, not, not. It's not Sebastian from Little Mermaid. Sorry, sorry. The walls of the lighthouse. Question that doesn't matter. I'm curious. Where, where? We've not even got to Rapture. This is standard. Why are you surprised? Where geographically is Rapture? The mid, the mid Atlantic. Where? The mid-Atlantic. Just in the dead center? Okay, what I'll tell yeah. you is it's near a volcano in the mid-Atlantic. That doesn't, um, that can't help. Uh, it's it's like, it's up, bro, it's north. It's closer yeah. to Antarctica is the top yes. ice one. Yeah. It's closer to Antarctica than it is to the Arctic. Okay, cool, 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 cool. If that makes sense. Um, but it's very much in the middle of, of the ocean. It's not near a, a country necessarily. I think there, I'm sure someone has a map where it goes, boom, there's Rapture, and they're going to say, you're wrong. <laughs> it's 50 miles off the coast of Maine. It's not, um, to oh, my where, knowledge. Where the Titanic is. Where the Titanic is. Oh my God, we're also going to see the Titanic. <laughs> wow. So, uh, yeah, so, so Jack walks down the stairs. Um, the walls of the lighthouse are adorned with paraphernalia and propaganda. Three words keep jumping out. Science, art, and enterprise. And our character enters a strange, brassy orb. These kind of people hate art. Uh, no, no. I, I, oh, no. Well, no, they, they hate freely produced art they, that they don't pay for. Andrew Ryan really loves art, but he loves a specific type of art. That we'll talk about. The kind that he doesn't pay for. Mm. That he gets for free. No, quite specifically, he has like an, an artistic philosophy, which I can tell you about because it doesn't really crop up later. He loves the same art that Ayn Rand loved, which is objectivist art. So Ayn Rand's whole thing was that art needs to be, it, it needs to represent the idea of, of something. Or not the idea of something. It needs to represent something like as it is. It's metaphysical. What what our perception of that thing is. Uh. So she hated photographs. She didn't think photographs were a, were a piece of art because she thought that that thing just shows something as it is, but it has no, it, there's no reconstruction. Whereas a painting of something looks, she thinks that's beautiful. Does that make sense? Yes. But she also hates unconscious art. You might have done the thing in school where you like, you just close your eyes and let your pencil like go over, over the page and then you go, oh, it's art. You know, like squiggles on a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she hated that sort of stuff. She really hated. She loved that middle between that middle point. He also absolutely loved Andrew Ryan. He loved Broadway musicals. Loved them. Like, and we're talking your old timey anything goes guys and dolls style shows. He thought they were amazing. And honestly, never really explained exactly why. He just really, really because loved who shows. who in the right mind doesn't? Oh yeah. Do goes. I agree with Andrew Ryan? No. Except for on this. <laughs> But he, he absolutely loved musicals, but loved musicals. And we're going to get to a little bit more about what that means later on. But for now, absolutely loved Broadway shows. There's our conversation starter. He would probably hate Hadestown. That's our icebreaker. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, would, he would hate modern musicals, but old golden age. Like, you know, girls in frilly dresses doing like can-can lines and stuff. Loved all of that. Anything like that. So, um, yeah. So Jack goes down and he gets inside a strange brassy orb. Kind of like a submarine, but more bulbous in its design. It's a sphere. No, a bathosphere. I don't know how to feel about this him being silent because I'm like, why have you gotten into this? That's a very ominous looking orb. Well, what else, else is he do? gonna do? Yeah. Die at sea. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I feel like I would rather die calmly than in a spooky or Oh no, I'm too curious for that stuff. So the door closes, Jack pulls the lever, and the bathosphere goes down. 10 fathoms, 15 fathoms, 18 fathoms more, but before we get to see just how deep we're going... Do you happen to know the exact measurement of a fathom? I'll Google it really quick. It's it's a nautical... Is that a real thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, The the numbers I've just given you are the only ones we see, and then it goes dark. A fathom is um, 1.8 meters. Which actually isn't nearly as deep as I thought it was. What I will say is that after 18, like, it goes dark for a long period of time, and the idea is we have gone deep down. Yeah, deep, yeah, deep, yeah. deep down. We're, we're going to Atlanta. Atlanta? Georgia? <laughs> Do you mean Atlantis? Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> going down to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, yeah, so we keep going down, keep going down, and uh, before we get to see just how deep we're going, a screen drops down and a projector starts playing. Time to see what the hell is going on. But first, a quick ad break. A picture of a man and a woman. The man lights the woman's cigarette with a flame at the end of his finger. Incinerate, the advert says. Plasmids by Ryan Industries. And then we hear a voice. I am Andrew Ryan, it says. And I am here to ask you a question. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? No, says the man in Washington. It belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican. It belongs to God. No, says the man in Moscow. It belongs to everyone. I rejected those answers. And instead, I chose something different. I chose the impossible. I chose rapture. The projector screen pulls back. And finally, we see out of the bathysphere window. The ocean stretches out beyond us. Neon lights cascade through the gloom. Schools of fish curiously explore around humongous signage, advertising, apartment buildings. Fort Frolic, Hephaestus, Neptune's Bounty, Fontaine Futuristics, Ryan Industries, skyscrapers, walkways, shops, docking stations. Rapture is a city beneath the sea. Which is, I'm a little bit gutted that you knew this already, Chase, but this is, yeah, we're under the sea. I feel like nobody who has been in around gaming as long as I have has not seen a picture of Rapture. They look totally fair. If that is the only thing you this really know... This is one of the most iconic imageries in gaming. It absolutely you can't You can't not know what Rapture is. So uh, Ryan goes on as we float through the city. He says, A city where the artist would not fear the censor. Where the scientist would not be bound by petty morality. Where the great... <laughs> mm, yeah. As, as two scientists sit in this room, <laughs> cringing... <laughs> Where the great would not be constrained by the small. And oh, with the how, our, how our master's theses would have gone different. <laughs> oh, God. Can you imagine? Ooh. And he goes, and with the sweat of your brow, rapture can become your city as well. The welcome message ends. The bathysphere continues to dock into rapture's welcome center. And then over a small radio next to us, Jack hears another voice. The lighthouse is all lit up like hellfire. Sounds like another plane crash, it says. Thickly tinted with an Irish brogue. <laughs> was that your Irish accent? That's my Irish. Was, I, all right. I didn't hear any Irish. Well, oh. look. <laughs> okay. It's very close to Scots. It's fine. Uh, we'll, we'll see how close... Yeah. Oh, don't let them hear you say that. <laughs> I, I might give up on the Irish brogue. We'll see. Um, but, yeah. Uh, Neil does a cracking Irish accent. Uh, Neil does a cracking everything accent. He does. He's very good. Anyway, rest in peace, Neil. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're dead now, and you've been replaced with my fiance. <laughs> so anyway, so yes, so so the, the the guy whoever it is is basically saying the lighthouse is all lit up like hellfire. Sounds like another plane crash, and then another voice says, "But we're in the middle of the ocean. How could it?" I don't know. The Irish man says, "But you best get over there, Johnny, and be quick about it. The splicers are coming." And as we dock into the station, we see that something is wrong. 
Rapture isn't as alive as it first looked. The city is swallowed by darkness, the lights flicker, sparks fall from the ceiling, and then the shapes appear. Johnny tentatively approaches the bathysphere, so Johnny's whoever was speaking to the Irishman. He approaches the bathysphere, preparing to open the door and let us free, but before he can get close, a hook-handed creature slams him up against the door, digs her hooks into him, and rips his guts out. Johnny falls to the ground, dead. So for context, everyone, uh, Chase has just pointed to, on my wall, I have a picture of a big daddy. No, Chase, we are not meeting a big daddy here. We are meeting a splicer. Different okay. Thing. Different thing. Um, yeah, I've got a beautiful, actually, an art deco sort of, uh, with a font and, and a beautiful illustration. It's a present that the newbies got me. Yeah. And I love it. And it's up on my wall. Uh, so anyway, <clears throat> so Johnny dead. A splicer just with hooks on its hands just ripped his guts out. And then it looks up into the bathysphere window and it gurgles and it says, Is it someone new? And then a shriek of rage that bounces off the walls. She leaps on top of the bathysphere, starts trying to tear her way in, but it's to no avail. She quickly loses interest and shuffles away. Would you kindly pick up that radio? The Irish voice says. And once we do, he formally says hello. So for context, um, what YouTube video viewers will be seeing is a picture right now of Atlas, who is on the, our, our main, our, our friendly kind of voice in the ear character we're about to meet. And he is, normally what happens, Chase, is on the right-hand side of the screen when someone speaks, they pop up with this little picture of them, like this old-timey photograph. I am also using fan art, because otherwise, every time someone pops up on the radio, you're just going to be staring at these pictures. Yes. So uh, the art is by an artist called Rience, fan art on DeviantArt. I will be doing links and uh, call-outs throughout, because I'm going to be using different artists as we go on fan art, because yes. the fan art for Bioshock... People love this game and they love doing fan art for it. And oh, it's just, some of it is absolutely stunning. So, Atlas, he says. As he shrugs. So is that, as he shrugs, yes. He <laughs> says, would you kindly pick up that radio? And he goes, I don't know how you survived that plane crash, but I've never been one to question Providence. I'm Atlas and I aim to keep you alive. Now, let's, let's get moving. We're going to have to get you to higher ground. Don't worry, I won't leave you twisting in the wind. A security bot flies overhead. It's like a tiny little helicopter with a gun mounted on the bottom of it. <laughs> of and course. It, it makes like little bleep bloops when it when it goes. It's like wee 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 wee. It's, it's amazing. It's like, like a large budgies. It's like our budgies. <laughs> it is absolutely like our budgies when they're like tweeting away. So yeah, so this this flies in. Um, clearly, Atlas, whoever he is, is controlling it remotely. When we see the creature again, the the splicer from earlier, he opens fire with a little turret strapped to its bottom. And he goes, bloody splicers. They sealed Johnny in before they... God damn splicers. You'll need to arm yourself. Would you kindly find a crowbar or something? Fun little half-life nod there, because the crowbar, Gordon Freeman, yeah. Uh, so Jack doesn't find a crowbar, he finds a wrench. Jack and the Atlas bot journey on together, fighting splicers and drinking in Rapture's new anarchic state. I'm sitting down in the bottom right, this little Ryan doesn't own us sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are we... Are, 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 we, are we getting that maybe Ryan went a bit too far into his, his ideologies and took over the city and now everybody's like, haha, no. Maybe, maybe, uh, but you're absolutely right to point that out. Yeah, there's empty suitcases here and there's a bunch of signs and they all kind of say the same thing. Fuck Andrew Ryan, Ryan doesn't own us. Anti-Andrew Ryan signs mm -hmm. at this welcome center into the city. Is that your point? Mm. Great. So just uh, for context, everybody, the Nubis is going to have to leave us. Why are you leaving us? So yeah, I'm, I'm away to get my nails done because next weekend it's my hen's party. Mm. And so, Woo. yeah, and so I'm going to get pretty nails. Yeah. So I am going to see you later. Bye. See you soon. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised if she's back before we finish the episode. We'll see how we get on. Yeah. <laughs>
And then there were two. And then there were two. Okay. It's like Perfect. old times. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? It is like old we're times. We're back. Mm. The thing about the splicers is, and you'll see better pictures of them later, they are quite heavily disfigured. Um, they, they, they are humanoids, you know, they got all their limbs and stuff. Um, some of them have hooks, some of them don't, but they all talk. They all seem to have some semblance of self-awareness. They'll, they'll, they'll argue do we do we have any idea of what they, and this might be an answer for later, do we know what they are? Are they humans that have then spliced things onto themselves, or...? I won't say more. They're people. They were once people. Okay. Okay? Uh, they were definitely once people. Are we assuming everything down here was once people? Yes, actually, yes. Okay. Either people or robots. Cool. So, flickering signs tell us that all transportation, all of the trains, all of the bathospheres, they were cancelled for some reason. Luckily, it seems like Rapture's engineering is holding on just barely, so the city hasn't split apart, but it's starting to. There are leaks that have been contained. The city is dying, but not dead. Particularly what coats the walls are posters. Streams and streams of posters. It's one of my favorite things about Bioshock's environmental storytelling. It does feel like there's a whole civilization down here, or at least used to be. I'm not gonna cover them all, but here's a quick handful just to give you a bit of fun. So, we got a Nico Time Cigarettes, the smooth taste expectant mothers crave. Mm. Do they? Uh, apparently. Mm. Or, slow down, Mary, take care of yourself. That's the rapture way. That patronizing, like, Janet and John sort of style pervades over the speakers, too. And we hear pre-recorded messages like, Hey, fellas, did you know 9 out of 10 ladies prefer the athletic man? Why stay on the sidelines? With a sports gene tonic, you could be the jock you always wanted to be. Or, the parasite has his eye on rapture. Keep your eye on the parasite. And then... There's an advert for cosmetic surgery. Dr. Steinman's cosmetic enhancement. With Adam, there's no reason not to be beautiful. And come to Eve's garden and see Jasmine Jolene. She's Andrew Ryan's favorite gal. Or, and this is the last couple I've got for you. An advert for Rapture Radio. The implication is that this is the only radio station in the city. A and public a service of Ryan Industries Incorporated. Absolutely. So, so it plays music and stuff. Um, and we, hate, a... we hate state-controlled radio. In, unless it's Andrew Ryan's state-controlled radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, 100%. Yeah, exactly. Well, again, the whole concept here is that someone else could start their own radio station, Chase. They just won't have as much money as Andrew Ryan. So he's just going to buy out the airwaves, you know? it's Yeah, it's, it's all free market. Oh, the waterwaves? The water How does radio work? I mean, radio does work underwater. I don't know why I'm saying that, but... Um, but yeah, no, so, so the idea there is it's, it's all free market. Somebody else could create their own radio, but they won't really be able to because Andrew Ryan has all the money. So he can just buy out all the space. Um, and then there's another, uh, there's another one here, which is a poster for an album by the musician Sander Cohen called Why Even Ask? Buy it today and invite Sander Cohen into your home. <laughs> okay. And sure. Sander Cohen... Kind of quite a creepy looking man. Uh, he's got like a very thin, almost drawn on mustache. He's got this like this this weird, well-groomed look to him. Yeah, Sander Cohen. We'll learn more about him later on. Okay, he's important. Uh, we'll learn more about him later on. Cool. So anyway, to give a bit more insight into Andrew Ryan's philosophy, here's a couple of audio diaries we find by him. So uh, diary number one is, so this is him. He's speaking to himself. I mean, he's just, he's just leaving his diaries everywhere. Uh, oh, 100%. Yeah, this is it. You're going to find hundreds. I think there's something like 89 total in the entire game. You're not getting all of them. I've oh. picked some interesting ones for okay. you. Okay. So he says, On the surface, the parasite expects the doctor to heal them for free, the farmer to feed them out of charity. How little they differ from the pervert who prowls the street looking for a victim he can ravish for his grotesque amusement. What? Yeah. So he hates the parasite. And they're a pervert, he thinks. How dare so he the farmer? 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, you'd hate the NHS. You'd, you'd hate all of that. Um, so then Diary 2 says, It has been brought to my attention. Some citizens have found ways to hack the vending machines. I should not need to remind each and every citizen of Rapture that free enterprise is the foundation upon which our society has been established. So you, you can hack vending machines. You can steal bullets and all that sort of thing okay. from them. Yeah, yeah, it's basically, that's a tutorial diary, but... Is he, is, is he saying that's a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, it's a bad thing. Oh. Yeah, it's like, stop stealing from the vending machines. But I thought everyone was meant to look out for themselves. Uh, true, but, oh, no, but only with, with, with money. Only with oh. money. Oh, yeah, yeah. Only, only, you only pay for it. You, know, you, 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 you earn it through the sweat of your brow. Oh, of course. You could argue that hacking a vending machine is earning the, the sweat, sweat of your own brow, brow yeah. Um, but anyway, so here's a fun example of how that all that, that philosophy started to go wrong. Okay. Even before Rapture got really messed up and looked like it did today. So there were two grocers in Rapture. This is from the book. John and Michael. Because garbage collection was privatized, one of the grocers, John, bought up the waste disposal service and ordered his men to not collect the rubbish from his neighbor Michael, from his competitor, which meant Michael's shop stunk and nobody went there, right? Oh. So yeah, free enterprise, no regulation, nothing like that. Um, in fact, during the scene, Andrew Ryan goes to visit um, and just because he hears that there's some some problems and that this part of the district stinks. Um, and he pops by and says, like, why does your shop stink? Why is your rubbish out in the street? What are you doing, bro? And uh, the, the, the the man who's who's got the stinky shop is basically like, he explains, and he goes, he bought out all the, all the stuff, Mr. Ryan. Like, he's not letting the bin men take away my bins. And Andrew Ryan's like, shrug. <laughs> Fair enough. Good for him. And then the guy loses his mind and he tries to shoot. Uh, sorry, he does. He shoots his competitor in the head and kills him. And that is where the cops get involved. So it is, there's not really rules, but there are some laws. Don't kill someone, that sort of thing. So public bathrooms, for example, cost $5 to use. And I thought can, a pound was bad. Yeah, yeah. And we can find these in places like theatres or malls where you would normally expect them to be free. You know, you buy a ticket to the theatre, you're going to get to go to the bathroom. No, no, no. You buy the ticket to the theatre, you're also paying a fiver if you need to go to the loo. I hate so, that. Yeah. So all of this we learn about through, through exploration. Diary 3. Andrew Ryan speaking again. I believe in no god, no invisible man in the sky, but there is something more powerful than each of us, a combination of our efforts, a great chain of industry that unites us. But it is only when we struggle in our own interest that the chain pulls society in the right direction. The chain is too powerful and too mysterious for any government to guide. Any man who tells you different either has his hand in your pocket or a pistol to your neck. So that's what he believes in, the great chain. Anyway, it's not until we come across a locked door that the gameplay steps things up a notch, and we get our magic powers in the form of plasmids. Oh. A bright pink vending machine with two huge statues of little girls either side of it. This is the Gatherer's Garden. And lucky for us, it's got one plasmid left, Electrobolt, that lets us shoot electricity from our hands. So did you oh. get did you get this far? I don't think so, okay. but I feel like I've seen this somewhere because now that I'm seeing this, it, it sounds vaguely familiar. We're going to get a whole bunch of these before the credits. I know that. Or are these in Infinite? They are. Okay, never. That's why I know them. I know them from Infinite. They're a bit of a staple of Bioshock. You get your powers and you get your guns. Okay, I know, th I know this from Infinite then. So, for example, uh, so we get a whole bunch of these. Uh, for example, Incinerate lets us shoot fire. Winter Blast lets us shoot ice. Insect Swarm lets us shoot bees. You get the idea. I'm sorry, what? What? what what's wrong with that? Part of, uh, what was the free industry in this? Yeah, Insect Swarm lets us shoot bees. Easy peasy. And it's actually quite gross because they, like, they crawl out your skin. Ah! and you, you, Yeah, you send them at enemies. 
Um, so the cool power is, but actually taking the plasmid is incredibly painful. Jack writhes around in pain for a second. We hear his muscles and bones crack as it courses through his veins. Steady now, Atlas calls out from the radio. Um, I'd just like to, but while, while we're on screen here, we, mm-hmm. we've, got a, we've got a shot here of um, him taking the plasmid. And I'm noticing that he's got some wrist tattoos uh, yeah. that look like chains. Uh, yeah. Uh, is that what they are? Uh, sure. Are you not going to say anymore? Is uh, that they're, they're just tattoos? Is it not important? No, just got tattoos. Probably thematically relevant. Okay, um, I was just thinking that we just talked a lot about chains, and he's now got chains. Well, honestly, I think that's... on his wrist, which could be like a prisoner thing. Uh, potentially, I th- yeah, I think it's just thematically relevant to the idea okay, of the so great chain, okay, and cool. yeah, they're, yeah, they're it's just a character detail. Cool. Uh, again, Jack, not important. These little girl the statues are horrifying. They are absolutely horrifying. Yes, they are. The the the, the gatherers garden vending machines are kind of creaky. And and you walk past them, they'll go, "You want to be as strong as my daddy, Mister?" Like it comes out and it's gross. He he takes the plasmid. He injects himself with it. It's a syringe. Are we thinking then that big daddies are people who just overdosed on plasmids? Uh, I'm not telling you anything. I'm assuming that's correct. So Atlas is like, "Study now. Your genetic code is being rewritten. Just hold on, and everything will be fine." But everything is not fine. Jack collapses, passes out, and he's about to be discovered. This little fish, yeah, this little fish looks like he just had his cherry popped. A splicer cackles. He's wearing a party mask, a rabbit mask. Wonder if he's got any Adam on him. And then, boom, boom. Oh, here it is. We hear two clomping metal boots sounding nearby. The Splicer's pal is like, Whoa, I'm not dealing with that shit, and runs. And the Splicer roars at him. He goes, Weak, yellow, always have been. But the banging gets closer, and the Splicer looks worried. He looks at Jack, and he says, You'll be no better off with the metal daddy, little fish. See you floating in the briny. And he leaves. A beat, and then boom, boom again. So this is a big daddy and a little sister. So the big daddy, big metal kind of tin can thing. I love him. And the little sister is literally a little girl. You'll see her eyes are all like discolored. Her her flesh is pale, almost like she's been zombified. I love them. They're so good. Absolutely iconic. Yeah, this is like the, the, you think of Bioshock. One of the most iconic imageries in gaming. Is 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 that a plasmoid gun in the little sister's hand? Uh, no, what that is, is it's a big fat syringe yeah. um, and she injects it into things or she pulls stuff out of people. Won't say much more about that, uh, but that's what she uses it for. Okay. So the little sister is like, look, Mr. Bubbles. And she, <laughs> yeah. And she's holding a humongous needle with a nipple on the handle. What? Yeah. It seems like like like, like a baby bottle nipple, like the very top bit. Oh, so oh, okay. It seems like she uses it to extract something and then she drinks it out of the the, 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 the syringe using the nipple. What? <laughs> so she like she stabs into a corpse, pulls something out, looks a little bit like reddish almost, and then she drinks it. So she's a vampire? Mm. Kind of. The little sister says, It's an angel as she stares at Jack, and she says I can see light coming from its belly. Wait a minute. Oh, he's still breathing. It's all right. I know he'll be an angel soon. <laughs> and then they leave. They just leave Jack. So does, does she only care about corpses? Like, are, Yeah. So him being alive. So are they just not going to bother us the whole game because we're alive? Yeah. They, oh. they don't bother us. They, they keep themselves themselves, the big daddy and the little sister. I yeah. I doubt that. Totally fine. I shockingly doubt that. But yeah, no, she's like, look, he's no use to me. So and I, I think the little girls, the little sisters, they're meant to be maybe like, oh, the, the ages vary, to be honest. But I think maybe it's supposed to be about mm, six, six or seven is kind of the typical age. 
So yeah, uh, sometime later, Jack finally makes it to a working elevator, and as he catches his breath, heading up to the culinary district, Atlas radios in again. So again, Atlas is like, he's our voice in the ear, he, he tells us a bit of lore and stuff. And he says, listen, I've got a family. I need to get them out of here, but the splicers have cut me off from them. If you can reach them in Neptune's bounty, then maybe, just maybe, I know you must feel like the unluckiest man in the world right now, but you're the only hope I'll ever see my wife and child again. Go to Neptune's bounty, please. So, we have our objective. But before we get to Neptune's bounty, we see a couple of interesting things on our way. Can we say no? No, we can't. That's not looking out for only ourselves. No, it's not. No, it's not. We, we are very much helping Atlas. Very, very selflessly helping Atlas. Yep. I don't know about that. So we've... He better pay us. So on our way to Neptune's Bounty, we can see a couple of interesting things. A splicer crooning over a pram, hushing it, crying, mumbling to herself. Why is it today and not then? When were you were warm and sweet? Why can't mommy hold you to her breast and feel your teeth? Jack clocks her on the skull and looks into the pram. It's a revolver. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's got a gun now. Uh, he's got a gun now. Yeah, absolutely. So Atlas is like, plasmids, they changed everything. They destroyed our bodies, our minds. We couldn't handle it. Best friends butchering one another, babies strangled in cribs. The whole city went to hell. True to form, that is what we witness. The enemies in Bioshock aren't crazy varied, but there are about five or six of different types with different di bits of dialogue that we pick up, and it's, it's all brilliant. So often unique, regularly bizarre sort of stuff that comes out of their mouths. Um, just around the corner from here... And they shoot bees. And some of them shoot bees. Some of them, yeah, <laughs> some of them just come at you with cruel bars. Some of them teleport. Yeah, it's great. Um, are, do, do we know at this point who created the plasmids? Was it Ryan? You will find out. I'm assuming it's Ryan. Okay. That's interesting. Sure. I I mean, seeing as how everybody hates Ryan, I'm going to assume it's Ryan. Sure. Either that or it was somebody who was anti-Ryan. One of the two. These are good theories. Okay. Just around the corner from this splicer that's crying over the revolver, uh, for example, we hear a male splicer and a female splicer arguing over a corpse. One is trying to dig into its gut and is like, you took it, you took it all. And the woman is like, I'll do what I want. It's my Adam. Then the second thing I want to show you, so I'm not going to tell you much more about that, but they're looking for Adam, it seems, and they seem to think it's inside corpses. It? Uh, it, Adam, it. I'm, I'm just, Adam isn't a man. Um, Adam, Adam is, is a thing. Adam is a thing. It's capital letters, Adam. A okay. Yeah. Doesn't stand for Secondary anything. question, and this, this, is, this is probably going to be answered later. Do we know how long it has been since, like, the, quote, the fall of Rapture, quote, unquote? Well, funny you should say. Uh, <laughs> so... I have, a, I have a good habit of pre immediately preempting these yes, things. You, so the you would think it's scripted. It's not. I'm just curious. <laughs> the second thing I want to show you is this place. The Kashmir restaurant. It's decorated with New Year's Eve balloons and banners for 1959. Just from looking around, we see that the corpses here are all in elegant dress. This New Year's Eve party was for people with money. Uh, but now, this place has been blown to hell by a bomb or something. Something blew up a part of Rapture. Luckily, there's an audio diary that tells us a little bit more by a woman called Diane McClintock. Uh, art by Grief Green that we're seeing on screen here. This is Diane. And she, she says, you can hear like clinking bottles in the background, a bit of music, a party's in full swing. And she goes, another New Year's, another night alone. I'm out and you're stuck in Hephaestus, working. Imagine my surprise. I guess I'll just, I'll just have another drink. Here's to Diane McClintock, the silliest girl in Rapture. Silly enough to fall in love with Andrew Ryan. Silly enough to boom, 
Diane is interrupted by screams, by more explosions, by gunfire. We can hear it in the background that the attackers are shouting death to Ryan. Anyway, stepping into the Footlight Theatre, just around the corner from the Kashmir restaurant, we hear another ominous groan and another boom. How does, uh, how does water physics work in this game that there's a hole blown in the side of this restaurant? So, so it's like casing, almost. So the restaurant is, it's, it's like shells and layers of bubbles and stuff to make sure that if one explosion happens in the center, it won't affect the outer casing. And if that explosion happens, another outer casing. It's almost like it's been built with plans B, C, oh, okay, D's okay, and beyond. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's like a really big thing in the books. The first, like, third of the book is, is, is Ryan coming up with the concept of Rapture and how the engineering and the plumbing works and all that stuff. It's very interesting. Um, but no, it's, they've kind of thought of everything with all this sort of stuff, which is really, really impressive. It's just a really beautifully built uh, world. Around the corner from the Kashmir restaurant, we hear another boom, another groan, more heavy metal boots, and the crinkle of the radio as Atlas pops up again. And he says, easy now, would you kindly lower that weapon for a moment? And we watch as a little sister sticks her needle in a corpse and sucks something out of it. Oh, you think that's a child down there, Atlas says. Don't be fooled. She's a little sister now. Somebody went and turned a sweet baby girl into a monster. Whatever you thought about right and wrong on the surface, well, that don't count for much down in Rapture. Those little sisters, they carry Adam, the genetic wheel that keeps Rapture turning. Everybody wants it, and everybody needs it. A splicer appears, stalks towards the little sister, a gun held out in a shaking hand, but he's not fast enough to get her. A big daddy roars from above, leaps down from a balcony, uses the humongous drill bolted to its arm, and stabs the splicer with it. He activates the drill, blood and guts go flying, and he mashes the splicer into a wall. That's the big daddy, Atlas says. She gathers the atom, he keeps her safe. The big daddy ignores us. He and the little sister stalk away. We're not posing a threat, so they're letting us get on with our day. Good thing too, because we are being watched. Are there multiple big daddies in I, I'm assuming there are, yes. there are multiple little sisters. So is each one in like a pair? Of yes, absolutely. Yeah, Big Daddy gets a little sister. They are cool. a pairing. Yeah. Uh, and there's multiple throughout the game. This might not be the same one from earlier. Probably a different one. Cool. Um, so yeah. So, But good thing that they've buggered off because we are being watched. At the end of the welcome area, Andrew Ryan traps us in a room. The doors are sealed. So He's I'm alive? He's apparently alive. Oh! So the doors are sealed, surrounded on all fronts by bulletproof glass. A projector bursts into life and he finally officially says hello to Jack. So tell me, friend, he says, which one of the bitches sent you? The KGB wolf or the CIA jackal? Here's the news. Rapture isn't some sunken ship ready to plunder. And Andrew Ryan isn't a giddy socialite to be slapped around by government muscle. And with that, farewell. Or das vidanya, whichever you prefer. So he's like, who are you? Are you a CIA spy? You work for the Russians? Who do you work for? How have you found found Sure. Me? Yeah. Um, so splicers surround the room, smashing their way through the glass. Through sheer numbers and force of will, it looks like they might break through, but da-da-da-da! Atlas to the rescue. He unlocks the door ahead of us, and Jack escapes. Nice. For now. Oh! Part two, the medical pavilion. Now you've met Andrew Ryan, Atlas says. The bloody king of rapture. Find Dr. Steinman, get his access key, make it through the medical pavilion, and Neptune's bounty is on the other There's side. There's so many more alive people here than I thought there were going to be. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't expecting there to be, like, maybe at most one or two people. And I kind of honestly expect them to be almost zombies like the little sisters that we just 
happen to be able to talk to. And true to form, almost all of the uh, alive people are important people, um, you know, from, from the history of Rapture. There's a couple that are very dead, um, who are very important to the history. We're about to meet one, but, um, or not meet one, but hear about one. Uh, so, yeah. Um, oh, so, so the doctor's dead. Uh, not not necessarily. Um, so it's it's a difference between someone being alive and someone being conscious, like say Atlas or Ryan are, where they can have conversations with you, and someone who's just oh. a mad splicer um, and has lost all sense of self. Are are, are we just so I'm understanding? Yeah, yeah. Are, are we considering the splicers to just essentially be? Uh, what's the name of the thing we took? Adam. The 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 are they, are they just essentially plasmoid addicts for lack of better wording? Good theory. Or. Won't say much more. Uh, okay. They're cool. desperate for Adam. Adam is made to make plasmids. Oh, okay. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Won't say much more, because I think you learn a little bit more about that this in this chapter. Grand, so. cool. I'm also, just from a gameplay question, mm. I can see that we've got a health gauge and a plasmoid gauge? Absolutely, yeah. Which yeah. is blue, so I'm assuming it's mana. It's it's basically mana. It's, it's magic. It's, ma it's yeah. mana. Um... It's, it's blue, so of course it is. <laughs> it doesn't refill automatically. Um, cool. So yeah, you need to uh, use first aid kits to heal your health or food and that sort of stuff. Uh, and you fill up your mana gauge, your, your plasma gauge, with something called Eve. So Adam and Eve. Hey. Yeah, you get the idea? Um, so yeah. So anyway. We're I, 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 I get the, the naming. I don't get the thematics of the naming, but. <laughs> it's, it's just a bit of, yeah, there's no thematics there necessarily. It's just a bit of fun. That feels weird in a game that is so heavy on its thematics. The name Adam is very much just, the scientists who made Adam thought it was a cool idea. That's it. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Uh, so anyway, the, the medical pavilion. So this is where we are now. We're on our way to find Dr. Steinman. And if we find him, we'll get through and then we'll get into the next bit, Neptune's Bounty. So it's coated in advertisements. Private health insurance did not exist in Rapture. And there definitely wasn't anything like the NHS in the UK. If you wanted treatment, you had to pay for it first. And pay for it, Rapture's people did. The doctors of the city were among the richest, and because they were so rich, they were able to branch out into all sorts of enterprise. We see a morgue and a funeral home right next to a dentistry. All of this is owned by the plastic surgeon, Dr. J. Steinman, who huh. should ring a bell. I, I did see his, his name back on one of the ads that you showed me. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he was plastic surgeon, cosmetic surgery. On it, he had the, the, the phrase which is like, with Adam, there's no excuse not to be beautiful sort of idea. So that was his whole thing. So in fact, it looks like he is the de facto head of medicine beneath the sea. There is a, there is a chief of surgery, but Steinman's kind of like the man in charge. Is that like a government chief? Is there, is there a government down here? There is. Is it Ryan? Sort of. Uh, oh. you, you'll learn a bit more about the... Because I, I would assume if there is police, which I assume is privately owned military police company, essentially... Probably. Uh, you're, you're, probably Ryan's privately owned military police company. You're definitely picking up on like what Rapture would be like with the philosophy we discussed. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, you'll get some confirmation and some tweaks to that those theories as we go. Cool. So um, th there is technically a chief of surgery. Don't worry. I don't know his name. I don't think we're ever, we ever learn it. Um, but Steinman is basically the man in charge in the medical pavilion. He basically owns it. He's the businessman. So he has two competitors though. The first is Frank Fontaine, who's been able to make a bit of a dent by opening up some cheap, affordable dentistries down here. There he is, Frank Fontaine, art by Lenka Simakova. So you got him there, and you got him there. Um, this he's, is... he's looking like he's straight out the Adams family. Absolutely. He's giving me, he's, he's giving me Gomez. He's a bald man with a tiny little mustache. I like uh, him. Smoking a big cigar. 
Um, so yeah. life isn't strictly business. Oh, I think that uh, I think that uh, people aren't going to like him very much. Uh, well, okay, so so Frank Fontaine was able to make a bit of a dent by opening up some cheap, affordable dentistries down here for the poor. Because bear in mind, a lot of your really rich people... I'm... Are... So I, I feel like I went into this with the thought that a society like this, especially if it is going off the thought, the, the knowledge that it is a hidden society, mm-hmm. I would have thought that it would have essentially been a little paradise for the rich. That only the rich even know about to get down. So how are they poor? Okay, so I can explain. Is this people who have been who were rich and then were driven out of business, or is this? So I can tell you this now. So basically, the gist is with Rapture, Andrew Ryan came up with the idea of it. He funded its creation, mm-hmm. and as a result, he got to invite people to the city, and okay. he did it very secretly. It all happens in the book. Like he sends them little notes where it's like, if you hate taxes and if you hate the government and if you know you hate the unions come and speak to me in my office and people will and they'll go right rapture this is what we're doing do you want to come here and people said sure this sounds amazing what no morals no taxes yeah whoa, you know and but he handpicked a lot of people okay. the problem was that with a city the size of rapture there's the um, there's the question in and I'm stealing this directly from uh, Pixel at the podcast I mentioned earlier because they've got a great line about it in Atlas Shrugged there's the question throughout the whole book which is who is John Galt you might have heard this it's, nope uh, <laughs> it, it, I'm not going to go into it but it's the central mystery of the book basically okay. who is this guy John Galt who is he and it becomes a bit of a turn of phrase but the the, the real question and the one that what Pixel said was the real question people should be asking is who cleans Galt's John right who cleans his toilets who cleans the toilets in Rapture who are the janitors who are the plumbers who you know because you need people like that so they weren't handpicked so the idea was that as Rapture got bigger, Ryan started to go, shit, we need dock workers. We need maintenance workers. We need fishers. We need people to... Not everyone can be a brilliant enterpriseman or or an or a, or a artist or whatever. I feel like he's immediately starting to see the cracks in his philosophy. Absolutely. That is the idea. So there was a class divide. Frank Fontaine, who we'll learn a little bit more about because he's really important to the history of Rapture. Yeah. Um, he saw that class divide and he saw means to profit off of it. So, for example, we have his dentistry, which was like, it's cheap. It's cheap. It's affordable. You, you don't have any money. Come by and I'll, you know, I'll do it for a nickel sort of idea. So that was his whole thing. Um, so, yeah, he's really interesting. We're going to come back to him later. He's not hugely relevant for right now, but Fontaine is a fascinating character. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, but that is not the only When we thing. consider him a good guy is he doing this out of morality or is he doing this because he sees a business opportunity not going to say much more about him Um, yeah he's a really interesting guy Um, we'll learn more about him because for example that's not the only thing he opened up Um, there's also a clinic in the medical pavilion connected to Fontaine Futuristics where Fontaine's two leading scientists Tenenbaum where we've got some art by uh, Nicolina Helena so Tenenbaum and Suchong where we've got art again by Lenka Semikova. They I really were... like Lenka's style. The style is with very the, With cool. the portrait, it's very cool. So, so for, for context, everybody, whenever I'm mentioning Lenka Semikova's art, what we're seeing is um, it's, it's a picture of someone against a backdrop, and then we've got a quote underneath from something they might say in an audio log or something like that. <laughs> Break that sweet puppy's neck. That's one that Su Chong says, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Tenenbaum and Su Chong, they worked on creating plasmids. They were the inventors of the plasmid. Oh. Yeah. They, they found so the it's atom. Frank's fault. Technically. God damn um, it, So Frank. we, we in fact, we hear some clinical trials being conducted. On the poor? Um, we just hear some clinical trials being on conducted. The, uh, that means on the poor. Okay, so, I see where this is going. So this is, this is Su Chong. This is a Su Chong diary, this guy. Okay, so, so I'm not going to do the accent for obvious reasons. Su Chong is an Asian man, and he speaks in a very thick accent throughout the whole game. Because of the time period, bear in mind where we are. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to use my voice. Yeah. So, 
Clinical trial lot 44. Subject is white male, Roland Wallace. Can you hear me, Mr. Wallace? Yes, sir, Mr. Sushong, sir, Roland says brightly. Very well, I'm administering lot 44 now. We've codenamed lot 44 Enrage because of its tendency to... He's interrupted by Roland Wallace screaming, shrieking, raging. He's clearly, like, bound down. He's trying to get out of his, his, his restraints. Nurse! Sushong shouts, panicking. Hold him down! Nurse! Nurse! And then static. We also find another audio diary by Diane McClintock down here, who you might remember was the girl who fell in love with Andrew Ryan. Um, she was the victim of the Kashmir restaurant when oh, it blew yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, so this takes place right after that attack, that terrorist attack. She says, Dr. Steinman said he'd release me today. Ryan didn't come to see me since the New Year's attack. Not once. Steinman was very attentive. He told me once the scar tissue was gone, he was going to fix me right up, make me the prettiest girl in rapture. But Steinman, as we learn, he had an odd definition of pretty. Oh. Mm. So uh, can you describe what you're seeing? I'm seeing um, on the, um, a bunch of bloody, bloody medical tools and some flowers. Um, what looks like the posters of a bunch of... I'm going to say Steinman's victims is what it looks like, but a bunch of uh, women who look like they were probably patients of his with scissors and Jay Steinman written on their foreheads in blood while on the floor in front is written above all, do no harm, uh, signed by Jay Steinman all in blood. Yes, absolutely. So the, the, you see this stuff throughout the entire medical pavilion. Um, it's everywhere. So we've got above all, do no harm, and it's always signed off by Steinman. Clearly the guy has lost his marbles. And um, there's pictures and diagrams of his patients littering the walls, streaks of blood splashed on top of them, and lines carved out specifically in an asymmetrical pattern. So, you know, that typically we look at beauty as being all about symmetry, all that sort of thing. No, Steinman thought different. So, Jack then, as he keeps going through, he sees a vision. A static ghost phases in. Oh, there's ghosts in Rapture. Apparently. It's haunted. A woman banging on the door to his district. And she yells, You promised me pretty, Steinman! You promised me pretty! Now look at me! Look at me! Strange. Uh, so, anyway, we hear recordings of Steinman uh, talking over the tannoy. So almost like maybe pre-recordings or live recordings, we can't really tell. But uh, he, he's, he's, he's going on and on about how incredible Adam is. He says that with the genetic modifications discovered by Suchong and Tenenbaum, beauty is no longer a goal or a virtue. He believes it's a moral obligation to be beautiful. That is his new belief system. He's like, we have just found this thing that can literally change your genetic structure. Everyone has to be beautiful at all times. That's mm -hmm. his belief. And then this is Steinman. Steinman, that's what he believed. So cosmetic surgeon, yeah. So did Steinman find Adam, or was Adam invented by Frank scientists? Uh, Adam was invented by Tenenbaum and Suchong, Frank Fontaine scientists, and then it became popularized. In, and he was like, oh, this is incredible. I can use this on my cosmetic surgery. This just means I don't have to... What does me. Adam do? All does it just... Is it just anything with regards to... Genetic modification. Absolutely. It rewrites your genetic structure. At its baseline, If and whatever you think that means, it can probably do. Uh, video game-isms. But it oh. rewrites your genetic structure. Oh. So, I mean, okay, quite literally what we learn is that it can change your gender without having to do an operation. It can, uh, your sex, rather, it can change your sex without an operation. It can change the color of your skin. Uh-huh. That becomes a thing that we pick up. Not not directly relevant, but it's definitely referenced in the book. Black people in Rapture, because there were some, uh, were, were straight up asked by people, going, hey, why have you not turned white? 
Why haven't you done it? Sorry, what? Yeah, it's grim. Excuse me. Bear in mind the time period and stuff. People are like, what? why are you still black? You can do whatever you want. It's crazy. It's really messed up. Yeah, real, real messed up stuff. Fuck that? Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, um, so, so again, with all that genetic structure stuff, really quite literally anything can be done. So we learn as we keep going, um, we, we hear Steinman over the tannoy and he keeps talking again. These might be pre-recorded messages, we're not certain. And he says, do we force the healthy to live with the contagious? Again, I've got art here by Lenka Simakova, where the quote is, I want to make them beautiful. And the art is him. Uh, he's, he's taken a splicer. This is a picture of a splicer chase. This is kind of what they look like. And he's, he's trying to scalp them into something beautiful. So did... Steinman create the splicers? No, 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 no. Well, some, some of them, yeah, absolutely. But the generally, you, you, if you take too much, it's like any drug. You know, if you become addicted to meth, it does things to your body, it does things to your face. Um, just plasmids do it tenfold, and you start to miss teeth, and your eyes turn different colors, and all sorts of things happen to you. Okay. Um, but yeah. So Steinman says, do we force the healthy to live with the contagious? Do we mix the criminal with the law-abiding? Then why are the plain allowed to mingle with the fair? Ryan and Adam, Adam and Ryan, all those years of study, and was I ever really a surgeon before I met them? How we clung to our scalpels and toy morality. Yes, we could lop a boil here or shave a beak there, but could we really change anything? No, but Adam gives us the means to do it, and Ryan frees us from the phony ethics that held us back. Adam presents the new problems for the new professional. As your tools improve, so do your standards. With Adam, the flesh becomes clay. What excuse do we have not to sculpt and sculpt and sculpt? until the job is done. So yeah, like... Well... Yeah. So, of course, classic, uh, Steinman gets carried away. Uh, you know, it, it, during the history of Rapture, he just got carried away. So we hear him talk about a lack of inspiration. Um, so if you could do literally anything with Adam, if you could turn someone into literally anything, what does art even mean? And that's what he sees his work as, art. It's not medical practice, it's, it's art. Mm -hmm. So without limitations to work around, without inspiration, what does any of it mean? So we also learn in the book he's got a coke addiction. So I'm willing to be uh, willing to bet that that didn't help. Uh, no, no, it's 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 all Adam. It's all Adam. He needs his inspiration. So he eventually finds it. He dreams of the goddess Aphrodite. Of course. I'm here to free you from. And we hear about this on an audio log. I'm here to free you from the tyranny of commonplace. He reports her saying, "Symmetry, dear Steinman. It's time we did something." about symmetry. Is there thematics to him disliking symmetry or is that just a character quirk? Uh, that is a character quirk. Um, uh, Steinman, again, it kind of leads in with Anne Rand's look at art. Um, art, you know, it, it's all about, you set your rules and, and, and it's all objectivist art. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, the, the symmetry thing is just, I think, it show, it's, it's an explanation of why a lot of them are disfigured. Because bear in mind, in Rapture, if you've got money, you've got a guy who owns like the, the, the medicine most people are probably going to go, hey, have you seen Steinman today? Your nose is looking a bit... Okay, but if he, if people are coming out not looking like they want because he has this weird jacked version of beauty, how has he not been driven out of business just by the people not going to him? He was literally like the only cosmetic surgeon in Rapture. But why was ever anyone going to him if they knew you were going to come out looking like he wants and not like they want? It's a good question. Uh, really, the answer is probably because around about the time that Steinman started to lose his mind, a lot of Rapturians have started to lose their mind and no one's sense of judgment was correct. And, and people are just like, no, 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 I'll just go check in with him. Um, so yeah. And technically, here's the thing. Technically, ob totally objectivist. If a woman walks in and says, Simon, can you make me pretty? 
He is going to, he he thinks he's made her look pretty. He's made her look asymmetrical. A contract has been laid out, services have been paid for, and he thinks, he believes, as a businessman, that he has delivered on that contract. And if she goes, I'm not happy with the work, he goes, no, you said I make me look pretty. I made you look pretty. So he's a genie. <laughs> well, he's, he's kind of genie-esque. Yeah, he, he's a genie. You got to be specific with him. So, yeah. So so that's what Steinman did. Uh, and nobody stopped him. We pick up a harrowing audio diary of the first time he put someone under the scalpel with his new philosophy. A woman comes into his clinic and simply asks him to make her pretty. He agrees. And what does that mean? He gives her a nose job. Great. Smaller nose. She'll probably like that. But he didn't notice how much the woman's face sags. So he cuts. And then he cuts again, and we hear him whistling while he works. And the nurse on duty with him, appalled, calls for help, but nobody ever comes. Locking up Steinman would be against the rules. Steinman's patients signed a contract, they asked him to make them pray, and he did. Well, since the fall of Rapture, he has completely lost his mind. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. So we find Steinman, uh, and he's, he's in a room, and this is an iconic moment. Um, you, you find him at the end of the medical pavilion, and he's, he's gouging, and he's stabbing at a corpse on a table. And as Jack approaches, Steinman is lost, rambling, and foaming at the mouth. And we see above him, three uh, medical tables are being spread out, almost like crucifixes. Um, the lights are shining on them. They're, they're, they're gone. These women are dead. Um, and he goes, what can I do with this one Aphrodite? She won't stay still. And with each syllable, he's stabbing into her guts and pulling out things out. I want to make them beautiful, but they always turn out wrong. That one. And he shows the first woman up on the top left. He goes, too fat. This one, too tall. This one, too symmetrical. And Jack's like, mm. and he doesn't say that because he doesn't speak. But then he turns and he sees Jack and he goes, who's this? An intruder? No, he's ugly, ugly, ugly! And he just straight up pulls the machine gun out from behind the thing and opens what? fire. Yeah. How is that beautiful? <laughs> he's gone. So, what? so uh, yeah, Jack kills him uh, like a mini boss fight. Bye bye, Steinman, dead. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, so we're gonna steal his keys. Uh, we steal his keys, absolutely. So Atlas pops up on the radio uh, and he's like, oh, "It's about time someone took care of that sick bastard." All right, off to Niptune's bounty. I'm almost there myself. We'll see each other soon enough. But before we finish up in the medical pavilion, there is one last person to properly meet. Bridget Tenenbaum. Oh, she's alive. Yes, so she's one of the women that made the uh, the, the plasmids. She looks normal. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes. Um, a little bit up close, you start to see that her face has started to sag and be disfigured, but she's not nearly as far as Is that old, old age sag and disfigured? No. That, okay, it is plasmid. Adam. Yeah, okay. she's also taken some plasmids, but she's not gone um, necessarily. She still has all of her faculties. So we hear a little simmer sister that screams at the top of her lungs in an atrium. A splicer approaches with a baseball bat. It's just you, me, and all of the tasty Adam I can drink, he mutters. But bang, a gunshot goes off. He drops to the floor dead, and when we look up, there's a woman on the balcony above, Bridget Tenenbaum, pointing a revolver right at us. Stay away from her, or it is you who will be shot next. Atlas radios in on the surround sound. Easy, doctor, he's just looking for a wee bit of Adam, just enough to get by. I'll not have him hurt my little ones, Tenenbaum roars back. But Does At she create the little sisters? Mm -hmm. But Atlas, she seems to be protecting them. Or has she, like, adopted them? She's just protecting them. But Atlas interrupts her and he goes, It's okay, lad, that's not a child. Not anymore, like Tenenbaum saw to that. Did she also create the big daddies? Uh, we'll tell you. Do not hurt her, Tenenbaum yells. Have you no heart? But Atlas is having none of it. And he goes, Aye, that's a pretty sermon coming from the girl who cooked up those creatures in the first place. He's, un he's got like unbridled disgust in his voice as he speaks to her. Took little girls and turned them into that. 
Listen to me, boyo. You won't survive without the atom those things are carrying. Are you prepared to trade your life, the lives of my wife and child, for Tenenbaum's little Frankensteins? No, Tenenbaum says. She takes a breath and tosses a plasmid down to us. Here, he, there is another way. Use this. Free them from their torment. I will make it worth your while, somehow. So, let's talk about Tenenbaum and Adam and Little Sisters. Tenenbaum is a Belarusian Jew. When she was 16, she was taken to Auschwitz, where she observed prisoners being experimented on. Oh, uh, oh. Oh, yeah, we're getting into World War II stuff. Okay. In her own words, she says, German doctor, he make experiment. Sometimes he makes scientific error. I tell him of this error, and this makes him angry. But then he asks, how can a child know such a thing? I tell him, sometimes I just know. He screams at me. Then why tell me? Well, I said, if you're going to do such things, at least you should do them properly. So she was in Auschwitz as a prisoner, and she was so fascinated by science and stuff that she kind of helped with the experiments. Mmm, mm, I don't like her. I don't like her. Uh, so yeah, she wasn't afraid of the experiments. She was just fascinated all by them. Makes sense why she's down here. It was her brilliant mind that made her a key asset when Andrew Ryan was reaching out to people to come and live in Rapture. Adam... So yeah. is, is, is Ryan just reaching out to Nazis casually? Oh, 100%. Yeah, oh, great. Yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't care. Um, I mean, he doesn't like Nazism. Um, and Because that's political philosophy. I don't know if you could call Tenenbaum a Nazi in the sense that she supported any of what they were doing. Um, she just was a she's immoral right so she's she's she she's Nazi or not a Nazi in the political sense but she is a Nazi in the philosophical in the moral social sense. sense yes yes yeah absolutely she she yeah so are we gonna get demonetized for saying Nazi this much I don't know I'll I'll, I'll re I'll relook at it I'll relook at it when we're when I'm editing um so Adam right so the thing that makes plasmids it's a sea slug that Tenenbaum discovered one day when a dock worker who previously had paralysis in his hands, he, he got some of, like, the slug's juice on them, and they magically healed. Yum. So she discovered that, and she was like, what the hell is this? So she, yeah, I feel like he discovered that. Uh, true, yeah, through the sweat of his brow, perhaps, uh, by picking it out with the... Yeah, so, but anyway. So she found this, and she was like, what? And she was like, can I have the sea slug, please? And the dock worker was like, I don't really give a shit, take it. I, I just, I'm just glad I have my hands again. So she took the sea slug to her colleague Su Chong, and the pair of them started to conduct experiments on what it could do. Su Chong was gifted in genetic splicing. That's his thing. That he knows all about genetics. In fact, he was um, so he he created nicotine plants spliced with sugar canes, and from that managed to create nicotine candy that was sold in Rapture. Not unlike actually uh, nicotine gum. You know, um, yeah. So which which would have been crazy at the time, um, but yeah. So Suchong and Tenenbaum discovered that the Adam Slug's regenerative properties could be manipulated into doing other stuff. So here's what she says in an audio diary about it. She says, Adam acts like a benign cancer, destroying native cells and replacing them with unstable stem versions. While this very instability is what gives it amazing properties, it is also what causes the cosmetic and mental damage. You need more and more Adam just to keep back the tide. From a medical standpoint, this is catastrophic. From a business standpoint, well, Fontaine sees the possibilities. So the two of them discovered what it could do. They brought Fontaine. They were like, can you fund our research? Okay, so Fontaine is not a good guy. Uh, well, he just thought Adam was cool. He was like, I mean, look, if some, we discover something like this, he'd be like, sure, all right, superpowers? He's, he sees drug that ruins life and goes, ah ha ha ha, money. 
Pretty much, yeah. So they brought it to him, uh, and he was like, this is amazing. And it was like, oh my god, this can make people stronger, it can give men bigger dicks, get started right away. And that is basically, that's exactly a conversation that happens in the book. He's like, oh my god, like, big dicks, big muscles, it can regrow hair back. That was the stuff he thought it could do. Just for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, yeah, I would love, I would love, I, look, if there was, if it was quite legitimately a plasmid that gave me my hair back, I think I would take the risk. <laughs> that's how much I miss my hair. Um, but anyway, so that's, but that's all he wanted to do with it. He wasn't like shoot bees from your wrists. He was like, just big dicks, big muscles. I just want to know who made the B1. Mm-hmm. We will never learn, to be fair. To be fair. Um, Theory craft for me. Who do you think made the B1? I think it's Suchong. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think Suchong probably came up. Because we heard Suchong earlier doing Enrage, where it makes someone all... Enrage is a plasma you can get that makes you, like, really, really strong for, like, 10 seconds, but you take a bit more damage, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so Fonte thought it was great. He funded it. And, of course, there's no regulatory body in Rapture. So Tenenbaum and Suchong learned that plasmids and Adam and all that stuff was actually very, very addictive, like opium levels of addictive. And Fontaine thought this was amazing because if people are addicted, what are they going to do? They're going to buy more. So Andrew Ryan was all about his free enterprise and all that stuff in Rapture. No regulation. So far, the only person I like down here is Atlas. That's fair. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Atlas is... Atlas is the only guy that's supposed to kind of balance out all the shit we've seen. You know, he's he's here to keep us So is, 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 is he one of our, our common folk who was brought in to just be a security guard or something? Uh, I won't tell you. We'll learn a little more about Atlas later. Atlas is cool. He's got he's got a cool story. Question going back yeah. to when he was on the radio mm. talking to Tenenbaum. Does Ten, he knows Tenenbaum. Does Tenenbaum know him? Do we get the impression? We get. We head? definitely get the impression during this conversation that, that Tenenbaum's like, "Oh, Atlas. Yeah, okay, I know you, Atlas. Yeah, okay." Um, but she's not like my friend, you know, or my enemy, or she's just aware of Atlas. I know who you are. Bear in mind. I mean, at this point, there's not loads of people that are still alive and conscious down in Rapture, so the the survivors have probably become aware of who each other are and mm. you know where they are. So yeah, why have they not left? Technically, you can't. There's the only yeah. When we arrived in the welcome center, there was no bathyspheres that could leave. Like physically, they were stuck there. But Jack was able to get in through pure luck. There was just a bathysphere in the lighthouse that got him down. That bathysphere can't go back. The engineering is cranked. It's it's the mechanisms are broken. The programming huh. is done. They are trapped down here technically. But yeah. Uh, so and also you know, uh, Tenenbaum's trying to protect the little sisters. It seems um, Atlas. Well, I don't know. Atlas is trying to escape. Remember, he he, he wants to get his wife and kid first. They brought it to Frank Fontaine, he thought it was amazing, addict, more money, and again, there's no regulation. And and because Andrew Ryan was like, free enterprise, do whatever you want, that's the point, that's the Rapture way, plasmid, plasmids hit the shelves, and Rapture became a magic science utopia overnight. Until everyone realized the Atom Slugs were a finite resource. Oh. Enter the Little Sisters. Could they not breed them in captivity or something? They absolutely could not, no, no. Actually, that's a good question, no, never answered. Okay. They don't try that. They that didn't is, think. I will tell you that that is not their first stop. They were kind of stupid. They jumped straight to Little Sisters. So are sisters. Little Sisters artificial sea slugs? Here's what Tenenbaum says about Little Sisters. So she says in an audio diary, The children must remain functional to be effective producers of Adam. I had hoped we could place them into vegetative state so they would be more pliable. I find being around them very uncomfortable. Even with those things implanted in their bellies, they are still children. They play and sing. Sometimes they look at me, and they don't stop. Sometimes they smile. People died all the time in Rapture. Children got abandoned all the time in Rapture. So it was pretty easy to snatch them off the streets and just experiment on them. Su Chong discovered the little girls, specifically more than little boys, 
could become walking atom factories. Never scientifically explained, but it specifically make a real point of going, little boys don't work, we tried it, it has to be little girls. The slug just bonded to them and kept them regenerating. So like, if they get hurt, the slug, they heal. So she just shoved a slug in her stomach and went, hee hee. Pretty much. That's pretty much exactly what happens. Uh, so yeah, they found the atom slugs. They were like, these are amazing. They made the plasmids using the slugs. They found out, oh no, we're running out of slugs. Well, how do we get more slugs? Didn't think to breed them. Um, so they thought, right, stick stick atom slugs in little girls' bellies. Of course, the, the logical first step. Yeah. As, as as anyone would consider first. So the slug bonds to the little sister and it keeps them regenerating. So that, that means that they are literally walking atom factories, the little sisters. That is what they are. You, you can take atom from them and turn them into plasmids. Cool. Are. Why are they trying to get more atom then if they make it naturally uh good question i think it's just an addiction thing can they not just suck it out their arm or something no maybe it's just maybe it's just i, I honestly don't know that's a good question i'm sure it's answered in the game i don't have an answer for you i think it's, i just put it down to the little sisters are also addicted to adam even though they've got an adam slug in their belly they just want more constantly want more anyway uh, bioshock much like a lot of games of this era has a choice system Adam is a precious resource in the game. You Aww. use it to buy more plasmids. She is adorable. And they're, they're very, yeah, it's, they're creepy, but so sad. Um, so yeah, you use Adam. You get Adam and you use it to buy new powers, upgrade your stuff, all that sort of thing. There's one way to kill a little sister. So you can harvest the slug. Oh! This kills the little sister. You rip the Adam sea slug from out of them and you eat the slug. And it gives you a crap ton of Adam. Right? Okay. Or you can... Use the tonic that Tenenbaum gave you to save them. So is, is the slug dead now? Is she just a normal little girl now? Pretty much, yeah. It's almost like the, the tonic kills the slug inside you and little little sister stops being a little sister. She just becomes a little girl. You cure them, basically. But now she's just going to die down here. Uh, yeah. But is that better or worse than being a mindless little Frankenstein? Good question. <laughs> so so that, that's your choice system, right? I'm not going to... This is This is your choice system. You find the big daddies and the little sisters. They will not hurt you unless you pick a fight with them. And if you pick a fight, you try to get a little sister, the big daddy will attack. They are very tough. But if you can beat them, you get a crap ton of resources from the big daddy and you can save or harvest a little sister. So wait, do you, do you only get this choice if you beat the big daddy? Yes. You have to kill the big daddy. So it's not like we harvest little sister and then big daddy comes in and attacks us before doing that. Would the big daddy be against us rescuing them? Does, are the big daddy programmed to make sure that they stay immortal atom factories? They well, they see the, 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 their programming is kind of simplistic. They see a man grab a little girl and try to sh do anything to them, shove a taunt down their throat, take a slug out, and they're like in danger. Okay, yeah. are they robots? Not going to tell you much more about the big daddies right now. You know what's the biggest thing that I'm wondering now? What? If you're going to cure all the little sisters, what is Bioshock Two? It's a good question. You will find out. When we do Bioshock 2, uh, after we do Red Dead 1 and Undead Nightmare. <laughs> because I know that Bioshock 2 takes place in Rapture again. And that's about all. And I'm 99% sure Big Daddy's and Little Sisters make a return. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to tell you anything about Bioshock 2. Cool. It's an interesting one, that. Um, I've also just thought. Yes. If Plasmoids are a staple in the series, how did they get to the flying city in, in uh, Infinite? Okay. I will tell you straight up, don't stress about Infinite. Different universe, different thing. That's why it's called Infinite, not 3. Oh. So different universe to Rapture. It's just they're, they're just doing Bioshock, but here's a different city and a different story. That's all it is. Not same universe? Not same universe. I don't like that. No. Boo. Uh, but don't worry about it. Boo. Any of that. So, so the, yeah, so, 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 but here's this, it's quite sad actually, because as you're walking around and you save a little sister, say, or you, you harvest a little sister, you do whatever it is, you can go back to levels 
and you will find big daddies. These little sisters, they come out of vents. That's how they get around rapture, vent, mm-hmm. vent systems. And big big daddies will just respawn if you go back to areas. Oh. Yeah, they, they won't attack you unless you attack them, but really there's no reason to if you've got rid of all the little sisters. Um, but you will see them walking around just going, and they'll like, like knock on the vent and no little sister will come. And it's real, and they just kind of go, and they just kind of like sit and wait for the little sister to come. Oh. It's really sad. Um, yeah, like they, they, the big daddies live to protect the little sisters. So anyway, um, so that's that's your moral choice. I am just going to tell you that Jack gives the tonic to all the little sisters for the sake of ease. This isn't going to be like Quantum Break where I'm going to give you choices and stuff. Uh, because okay. quite literally, there is one canon ending. There's t- it affects the ending. You get a bad ending and a good ending. The canon ending is the good ending. So we're just going to go with that. Will you tell me the other ending at the end? I will, yeah. yeah, cool, Absolutely, right. yeah. Cool, fantastic. Um, it's it doesn't change much. It changes a cutscene. That's all. Is it just a you cured or you harvested all the? Quite literally, yeah. What if you do nothing? And well, no. Everybody will always do one little sister. They'll do the one that you speak to with Tenenbaum and Atlas. You can't leave the, the tutorial room. one. Yeah. So whichever, if you don't touch another one, this is this is your choice that affects the ending. But anyway, so uh, little sisters kind of explained a little bit more about them. So. Um, as we, so, so in this case, Jack saves the little sister. Hooray! Uh, she's a little human girl again, and she goes, thank you! And then she runs off into her vent and disappears. Still, the children yearn for the vents. Yeah, and tenor bombs Wait, off if you cure them, do they not still hang out with their big daddies? No, they don't. They abandon the big daddies. Aww. Yeah, because the, 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 they're, not, they're not paired up anymore. They don't, no, they just disappear. They just run away. And tenor bombs like, thank you! You rock! Keep curing little sisters. They're going to come back and live with me. So does she regret it then? It seems like it. Yeah. She's protecting them. She well, so after a little sister gets cured, they go in the vent and they go and live with Tenenbaum. That's where they go. That's what she says. Okay. They're, they're going to come back to me now and I'll protect them. Uh, so yeah, so so it's all good. And then as so Tenenbaum then leaves, and as she leaves, Atlas pops up and he's like, "Tenenbaum's playing you for a sap." He says, "Those things may look like wee little girls, but look, don't make it so. You need all the atom you can get to survive. Anyway, come on through to Neptune's bounty. I'm looking forward to shaking your hand." So as we head on, yeah, it's a bit like, oh, Atlas, you're like our pal. Why are you being so weird about little girls? It's just so you've got, again, it's just so you've got the choice system. Um, and it's a bit like, oh, it's a bit of a shame that our pal's been a bit of a creep about little girls. But well, it's just a necessity of he, the choice. <laughs> for fear of sounding yeah. not great, is he being a creep or is he being survivalist? Arguably being survivalist, in, yeah. In yeah. this society where... You arguably do need Adam to survive or you die. Yeah, 100%. That, and that is his thing. All he cares about is, Jack, I'm going to keep you alive because you seem all right. And I need you to get my wife and child out of Neptune's bounty because I'm trapped somewhere. I'm trying to get there myself. I need your help to get them out. Um, so that's the whole thing with, with Atlas. So anyway, uh, part three, Neptune's bounty. <laughs> sure. A lot, of, a lot of crucifix imagery. Yeah, this is the first thing we see when we step out of the bathosphere into Neptune's bounty. A dead worker strung up with smuggler scribbled over his head. And a Bible and a crucifix and a bag below him. Absolutely. So Atlas is like, you've had the pleasure of meeting Andrew Ryan, so be careful. You've caught his eye now. Nobody knows exactly what happened. Maybe he went mad. Maybe the power got to him. Maybe he just decided he didn't like people. Whichever way you slice it, Good men died. My family's in a submarine just past Fontaine Fisheries. I'll meet you there. So, off we go. Oh, F- Fontaine has fish too. He does. He absolutely... That was his first company. So, we learn all, we learn all about it with Fontaine. So, because again, he was like the, the plasmic guy. He's quite important to the history. We, we explore Neptune's bounty and it is a goddamn war zone. Abandoned suitcases, bodies, weaponry and ammo are strewn across the place. This 
was Rapture's dockyard, and it's where we learn a little bit more about how exactly it was run. It turns out that despite having no regulations, there were laws in Rapture. For example, murder wasn't allowed. But rule number one was that nobody was allowed to leave. Once you came to Rapture, you lived in Rapture forever. Ryan was terrified. So is it arguable that there was no engineering defect on the orbs in the welcome hall? Yeah, yeah. And that that was intentional. I said an engineering defect. In fact, yeah, it's probably just not programmed to let you get out. Ryan probably has a little button. I don't know. But yeah, you you can't get out. Hmm. Except I'm I'm assuming Ryan can leave. Probably has a private one in his office. Uh, Probably. I'm assuming that's how we get out. To, To his absolute power, Ryan has never... There's no evidence that Ryan has ever left Rapture the second he lives here. He's like, because he's like, why would you want to leave? You got everything. You got nicotine candy. You got cigarettes for pregnant women. You got superpowers. What's the problem? No regulations. Everyone's dead. Yeah, it's, here. yeah. it's great here. Shut up. Yeah, you, you, you call me scum. Like that was his whole yeah, takeaway. Yeah, call me zombies. So he was like, yeah, rule number one, nobody allowed to leave. Uh, once you came to Rapture, you live here. Ryan was terrified that the American government would invade, so he wanted no contact with the outside world whatsoever. You are not allowed Did to the leave. government know this existed? No, they suspected, but they never found out. Surely they have, like, naval submarine tech at this point in history it was so high tech. Uh, yeah, that's why it's like hundreds of millions of miles away. It's like, wait, 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 And so deep too. It's like, Ryan really made sure no one could find this place. But he still, every day, he shot himself that someone was going to find it and the American government were going to come in and force him to do taxes or whatever. You know, that was like, that was his fear. So, I mean, quite literally, right? So, do so, no taxes. I've not got this written down. Wake up, it's the IRS. Well, yeah, so, so he... We're here, knock, knock. He meets a guy uh, who we learn, learn more about uh, called Bill, who is like the lead engineer of Bill Rapture. Williamson? Bill McDonough, right? Uh, who's a cockney bloke. That's what he was. Um, and Bill McDonough's whole shebang. We're, I'm going to tell, tell you a bit more about Bill later, but just while we're talking about Ryan. Bill, in the in the book, it details the moment that Bill and Andrew Ryan meet for the first time. Bill's just a working class Joe. Andrew Ryan has like, uh, his toilet's not working. And Bill goes by to visit uh, and he's like, yeah, cool, I'm here to fix your plumbing. And Andrew Ryan is like, ah, oh. and, and Bill like d- d- puts in a brass screw onto the pipe, basically. And I'm just like, oh, you're using brass? That's going to cost you more. And Bill's like, yeah, look, I just want to make sure that the job gets done proper. I don't care if it costs me more. I don't want to be back here next week fixing your toilet again. So I'm using brass. Most men use copper, right? And Andrew Ryan's like, hmm, oh, okay, all right. I'm a man who likes his work. I get it, I get it. Um, and, and then and, and Bill's like, cool, yep, no worries. And he starts packing up his stuff. And as he's like packing up his stuff to leave, job done, Andrew's like, hey, uh, what do you think about communists and unions and taxes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, was, it, was was this pre, pre-Rapture? Pre-Rapture in New York, in New York City. Okay, so he, hey, uh, <laughs> he's like, oh, I liked you. Come down to Rapture. Yeah, 100%. He's like, well, what do, you, what do you think about communists and stuff? And Bill's like, I don't really give a shit either way. I just like to like do my work. And, and, and I care about plumbing. And, and I'm like, hmm, I've got a proposal for you. Do you want to be the head engineer of my underwater oh, he's engineer. He is head engineer. Oh. And he, he helps build it. Like, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's so just... he's, he's not a common man. No, not, well, not now. Kind no. of. He has a pregnant wife and stuff. Does she uh, smoke cigarettes? Uh, she probably does, yeah. For, for pregnant ladies. Well, in the book, right, so a lot of the book is from Bill's... Oh, just a little aside. A lot of the book is... It jumps perspectives. You, you're in Fontaine's perspective, Ryan's perspective, Bill's... All, Tenenbaum's all of them. Um, but Bill has a pregnant wife, and a lot of it's from his perspective. He's kind of the main character. You see him... Um, I won't give too much away, but you, you start to see him kind of start to doubt things, and he's a bit like, this isn't really what I signed up for, and... 
plasmids are weird. I don't really like plasmids and what's going on and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, but it's just, I just love that. I love that that is the first interaction between Bill and, and Andrew Ryan, where he's like, thanks for fixing my toilet. What do you think of the commies? <laughs> it's like, <"I> <laughs> So anyway, so Neptune's Bowery, war zone, not allowed to leave. Um, so there was one exception to no contact with the outside rule. One exception only, Fontaine Fisheries. The men of the dock could come and go as they saw fit because they had to fish. Ryan wanted Rapture to become self-sufficient, but until it could become that, food mainly came from the ocean. People mainly ate fish. So this is where Frank Fontaine's wealth came from. He was the number one food supplier in Rapture, so of course, he made a pretty penny quite quickly. He invested that into more stuff, plasmids, dentistry, all that sort of thing. But because the dock workers had contact with the outside world, they also had an opportunity to bring some contraband into the city. Oh, yeah. There's a pretty lengthy list of stuff that was not allowed in Rapture. So I'm, I'm not going to give it all to you, but here's a few examples. You noticed earlier Bibles. Okay. So Bibles, crucifixes, no religion, no gods or kings, only man, right? No religion at all. Um, a movie reel from the surface, uh, certain brands of whiskey or of adult juice or tobacco, wine, uh, more adult juice, beef, cats. No cats allowed in, in Rapture. Don't know why. Why? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to live there. Ryan didn't want anything that could interrupt Rapture's economy or his no gods or kings man. You shan't steal... Because kitties are God. Apparently, yeah. I don't know why the cats thing. Um, but it wasn't long until people got sick of the same old films, eating fish all the time. So smuggling became pretty rife. And it's through a guy called Peach Wilkins that we learn a little bit more about Frank Fontaine's operation. He is locked. He's locked the door to Fontaine Fisheries. Again, we need to get through there. For oh, he's there. alive. He's alive, yeah. Yeah, you can't really see his face here. It's covered by a, by a, like a, a engineering mask. Uh, Bear in mind, this is a war zone. Clearly some battle or something happened here. So okay. he's he's batting down the hatches. Jack needs to get through if he's going to make it to Rendezvous, but Peach is being a little dick about it. He's the worst character in the game. Like, straight up the worst character. Cool, great. So he's like, Atlas radioed on ahead. Says you're looking for an invite to the fisheries. Nuts, I say. But if you head up to the Wharfmaster's office and get old Peachy a research camera, maybe I could manage an invite. But just remember, Sonny, if I smell even a whiff of Fontaine on you, oh, I'll have you in a box. Atlas vouches for you, but I'm not turning my eye away just on his say-so. He opened a little hatch. Um, I would have sent the bees in. <laughs> I would have just hand up to the fingers in bees. Bzz, bzz, bzz. But, but no, most notably so here... Are, yeah. are we to assume right now that Fontaine is also alive? Atlas is like, Jesus Christ, grown man jumping at ghosts. Fontaine is dead. Everyone <laughs> Why? Why do I always fucking preempt these? <laughs> yeah. Every time. Every I, time. I swear I don't have his script. I don't know these, but it's every time. So no, yeah, Atlas, I mean, like, you know, the question now is, and we'll learn uh, what happened to Frank Fontaine. But yeah, dead. Straight up dead. Peach is jumping at ghosts. Clearly, so yeah. Alice is like, he's been in the ground for months and half of the city still jumps at his shadow. But sure, fine. Find Peter's camera. There is no other way so around it. So this is, to go back to timelines, this is fairly recent that the city fell apart. A slow, very, a slow but obvious decline that, yeah, it fell off a bridge. So like, are, are we assuming the bombing of that party to be like the event? That is the catalyst. So that was within yeah. the past two months? Yes. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, past few months, bombing, and now it's like, it is uh, as it is. What a perfect coincidence that we arrived then. Yes. Absolutely. I wonder where Jack was flying to and from. Where was he going? I don't know. Is he, is, is he, he's American at the start. So is he leaving America? Is he coming to America? 
I don't know. London to New York, let's go with that. But the, the, I think the most notable thing about Peach here is that like, yeah, grown man jumping at ghosts. He's like, if you're working for Fang Fontaine, you're not coming in. So he's scared of Fontaine. So, but this is Fontaine's fisheries. Yes. So has Peach like just taken it over from Fontaine? Don't know. Peach Are there, is, is, is this like a safe haven? Are there more people in there? Peach clearly used to work for Fontaine. That's the vibe we get. And now Fontaine's dead, and Peach is like, God, I hope he doesn't come back. Uh, and, and we don't know why. We don't know why he's so scared of him, but that's his whole thing. So we find, we learn a bit more. So find finding audio diaries next to torture corpses. Oh, great. Love yeah. that. So we find audio diaries next to torture corpses that detail intense interrogation. There were cops in Rapture, but they were mainly Andrew Ryan's Pinkertons. Ironic, we've recently done Red Dead because they are. Oh, are they actually called Pinkertons? They're not called Pinkertons, but they're basically the Pinkertons, and they work just for Andrew Ryan. Great. So, so I was right. There's, they, he has his private military. Pretty much, yeah. Like they'll, they'll help other people out and stuff, um, but you know, Andrew Ryan will tell them what to do. Are they the police of Rapture? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's exactly what I said. So yeah, they're there to make sure nobody tried to unionize. That's so smart. Yeah, they really cracked down on like unions, talking about socialism, anything like that. Hated commies, hated socialists, hated all that stuff. So Ryan heard sniffs about Fontaine's smuggling operation, and he sent his head of security, a guy called Sullivan, to find proof. That was tricky. The problem is, Rapture is full of artists, tennis players, scientists, billionaires, and then there were the dock workers. There was a clear class divide, and the sort of people Sullivan could rely on for information never went near the stinky working class. So, you know, who's he going to speak to? He's not really got a mole down here. But eventually, proof is what he found. Lots of it too. But none of the smugglers they caught ever ratted out Fontaine. But that is the exact sort of person Fontaine appealed to, the working class, the forgotten of Rapture, who weren't able to build their own businesses or steal their own corner of the market. He attracted the unemployed, the struggling, people who you know couldn't afford dentistry. And Peach the Wilkins, people he could exploit. Yes. And Peach Wilkins describes it best in one of his audio diaries. He says, We all come down here, being told we're going to be part of Ryan's great chain. Turns out Ryan's chain is made of gold, and ours are the sort with a big iron ball around your ankle. He's up in Fort Frolic banging fashion models, and we're down here yanking guts out of fish. Fontaine's promising something better. He's like, one of us, you know? He's worked a day in his life. Fontaine's got Adam. All Ryan's got is a nice suit. Any idiot can see what kind of way the wind is blowing. So again, by this point, Fontaine is starting up Fontaine Futuristics, but he also had the business with the dot workers. So by, by the time he starts with Futuristics, is that his main business? That is where his main source of income comes from, but he's still down here with the dock workers, chatting to them, you know, holding meetings. Okay. Yeah, and running a smuggling operation where the real money is. Cool. So yeah. The problem is that those feelings started to change. Peach loved Fontaine. Apparently now he doesn't. Wait, so theoretically, is the fisheries, fisheries not our escape place then? Yeah, technically. How did they get out? Uh, well, the, the dock has like a, a... Do they have submarines? Yeah, uh, submarines. Absolutely, they have submarines. Not bathospheres, submarines. Yeah. Um, and technically, you can use a submarine to get out. You're absolutely right. Is that how the game ends? We're going to come back to the fishery? Yeah. No. After we kill Ryan? Nope. Uh, so... Okay. Are we going to die? I'm not going to tell you anything. So, <laughs> so, clearly, Peach Wilkins' feelings changed. Why did they change? So, Jack gets another static, ghostly vision. Why does he keep getting ghosts? Mm, why is he? Two smugglers arguing with each other. One is like, that's it, I've had it. I'm not going down for Fontaine. I'm going to tell Sullivan everything. And the other smuggler shoots him in the head to stop him from ratting. It seems like they were more scared of him than they were of Ryan's goons. 
Ryan's feelings about Frank Fontaine are interesting. Art again by Lenka Simakova. This Fontaine fellow is someone to watch. He always managed to be where the evidence isn't. He's the most dangerous kind of hoodlum, the kind with vision. At first, Ryan observed Fontaine's rise to power as proof that the rapture experiment was working. He was just some random dot worker, and now he was one of the richest people in the city. But as Fontaine's power grew, that started to change. And what if his so he's a mob boss. Uh, mob boss, yeah. Started as a dot worker, became a mob boss with the smugglers and a businessman. You know, and I feel a like ha didn't all the mobs start from like common jobs? Actually, it's a really, really good point. <laughs> he's just he's, he's, a, he's a mob boss. So yeah, so Ryan, but Ryan's feelings, he was like, yeah, this guy seems all right. You know, he's, he's doing the rapture thing. Good for doing him. the rapture. Yeah. But his feelings started to change the more powerful Fontaine became. So in one of his audio diaries, Ryan says. Something must be done about Fontaine. When I was buying buildings and fish futures, he was cornering the market on genotypes. Rapture is transforming before my eyes. The great chain is pulling away from me. It's about time I gave it a tug. Rapture did not have a government, but it did have a council. So here is Rapture's council. Okay. These guys are not all important, but this will kind of fill out quite a bit of what we're going to talk about moving forwards. So... Left to right, you've got Bridget Tenenbaum, the co-chief scientist, Sander Cohen, the head of the arts, mm -hmm. Gil Alexander, who was in charge of creating Big Daddies, Andrew, oh. yeah, when, when this photo was taken, in charge of creating Big Daddies. Which is uh, 1952. Did, did Big Daddies play a part in society pre-Little Girls then? Won't tell you. Okay. Won't, won't tell you because that's kind of key to, that's pivotal later. Cool. So, um... So yeah, Gil Alexander, who was in charge of creating the Big Daddies at this time. Andrew Ryan, who's the chairman, of course he is. Um, then we've got the chief psychologist, Sophia Lam. And then on the far right here, we've got Dr. Su Chong, the other co-chief scientist. Interesting. They're not in this picture, but there were also people like uh, Sullivan, who we talked about, the head of security, who was investigating Fontaine. Not a lot of art for Sullivan, but here's one by Monkey Yu, because he's not really a beloved character. Okay. He's just a cop. That's all he is. Um, so yeah. Uh, and finally, Bill McDonough, who I told you about earlier, head of engineering, art by Grief Green, who is the guy that fixed Andrew Ryan's toilet in New York. And then Andrew Ryan was like, do you love the commies? If not, come to Rapture. So yeah, um, so the good, good old Bill McDonough. To crack down on the smuggling operation, Ryan convinced the council to create a new law. All smugglers would be hung. Death penalty. Straight up death penalty for smuggling. As one does. People did not like that. Like, at all. Half of the city was in uproar over it. There were protests. But what could anyone do? Because bear in mind, like, half the city is using the smugglers to get their Bibles and their cats and all that sort of stuff. And their cats! So they're like, oh, we like smuggling. Also, stop death penalty. <laughs> okay, I thought it was supposed to be free enterprise and stuff. Uh, so yeah, really did not like that. There were protests. Why, do, why does he get to just suddenly change the rules? Because he's literally the most powerful. He, he's the richest man in Rapture, and because he has the most money, he owns the most. Does that not defeat the, his own ideology? Everything I'm telling you here is like background noise. You pick this up for environmental storytelling from audio diaries. Really what you're doing the whole time in Neptune's Bounty is killing splicers and finding a research camera for Peach Wilkins. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Why does he want that? Because, a, well, okay, so it's a gameplay mechanic and it's, I hate it. So it's a, you get the research camera. You keep saying you hate a lot of parts of this game. Do you like this game? No, no, I love this game. And I think there's a lot of real fantastic stuff in this. And I actually love a lot of the gameplay as well, but I hate the research camera. I talk about it in my critique.
So, so you take pictures of enemies, and then it goes bling, and a little picture prints out, and and you use it to, and it tells you, it doesn't tell you anything really that important, but what it does is it, it tells you what weaknesses are for enemies. So, ah, oh, uh, this tor- sort of splicer is weak to electricity. So it's something that most games have, except way more tedious because aesthetics. It's very tedious with a research camera. Yeah, okay. yeah, it is. Um, so that's what Peach Wilkins wants. He just wants a research camera. So he doesn't explain why. He just wants it. So. Yeah, smugglers going to be hung, people not happy about it, protests. So Ryan owned half of Rapture. He trapped everyone down here saying they weren't allowed to leave. They had to play by his rules. So yeah, smuggling. Suddenly it's a death penalty law. Frank Fontaine was a threat to Ryan's enterprise of the city. He had quickly become Ryan's greatest competitor. Does he know that Fontaine is the one running this... It, he, it's kind of classic mob thing where it's like you know it but you don't have the evidence so you exactly can't that. you know it okay. but you don't have the evidence and he's, he's like I know it I know what you're doing I, I just can't get the evidence for it so I can't kill you can't kill him um, so and bear in mind Frank Fontaine also had like a bunch of men that would die for him um, very much like Dutch and his gang think of it that way from Red Dead 2 because uh, okay. again yesterday everyone we covered Red Dead 2 so Frank Fontaine was a threat to Ryan's enterprise he's now his greatest competitor owns half of stuff owns the fishing owns the plasmids owns the dentists he had to shut him down as quickly as possible but hanging smugglers in the town square wasn't enough in September 1958 because I'm not gonna lie as of right now what had, what does Ryan I feel like Fontaine is providing all the things you need to live what is Ryan providing uh the engineering the the, the business working you find out you see Ryan Industries kind of firsthand later um and he is the reason why the city hasn't sunk yet you know, he controls the heating system, that sort of thing. Okay. Like real, like, utility bill stuff. Um, government stuff. Stuff that is typically nationalized by governments. So, yeah. In September 1958, Ryan went further. The bathospheres were shut down completely. Unless you had Ryan's genetic code or were related to him, nobody could use bathospheres to get around. Fontaine and his men were locked into Neptune's bounty. Without any proof. Wait, what do the bathospheres... Are the bathospheres not just elevators up and down? Did no, you... no, they're like mini submarines, the thing that Jack got into at the start. Oh, I assumed it was just like an elevator. No, no, it's like it's like a pre-programmed elevator. Uh, sorry, pre-programmed submarine that follows a pre uh, like uh like So that's that, that they would be your taxis around Raptor as well. Absolutely would, yeah. There oh. used to be there were once trains and then bathospheres got invented and it's like trains and taxis. Like you'd rather a taxi than a train. Got it, got it, cool. So, so anyway, Bathsphere's shut down completely. Unless you had his genetic code or related to him, you couldn't use them. Fontaine and his men were locked in Neptune's bounty and without any proof, Ryan sent in his security team to arrest Frank Fontaine. A massive firefight exploded out of the dockyard. Fontaine's men versus Ryan's men. So, but again, bear in mind, Fontaine has all the plasmids. So he's probably been making a little army full of superpowered blokes to zap, 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 and maybe not been selling it to the cops. Hmm. Sullivan, we don't really learn that exactly, but that's the implication. Um, Sullivan went down there with the rest of the security team, and the place was shredded. Fontaine v. Ryan. And in the firefight, Frank Fontaine was shot and killed. Oh! Yeah, you got him. You got him. But Ryan didn't stop there, and this is really key for Ryan. Not a day after Fontaine died, he seized all of his businesses. The fisheries, Fontaine Futuristics, the plasmids, all of it, and relabeled it Ryan Industries. He didn't buy them because Frank Fontaine's dead. He used his governmental power for a hostile takeover. Which sounds like regulation and government control to me, and I thought that's something he didn't like. Sounds like I I thought there was no government. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, and the council, the Rapture Council did not like it. They were like, this is complete opposite of what you promised us. I thought you said this stuff wouldn't happen down here. Rapture's chief engineer, Bill McDonough, said, quote, and you hear this in audio log, 
Um, I'm trying to figure out if I can do Bill. What is Bill's? He's Cockney. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like a, a moral standpoint, he's the one that you should do, but... Ryan nationalised Fontaine Futuristics. He owns it now. Lock, stock, and That's barrel. not Cockney. For the good of the city, he says. He'll break it up in due time, he He'll says. He'll break it up in due time, he uh, says. Hey, he's not bloody... Was it Mary, <laughs> Mary Poppins, right? No. No, but you said he's Cockney. Yeah, I can't do the Cockney. Neither can I. <laughs> Neither can I. Generic, middling, crappy English. Uh, not, nothing against English. I mean, my accent will there's be crappy. Your, there's your post-credits out. <laughs> <laughs> so, Raptor's chief engineer, Bill McDonough, said, quote... Ryan nationalised Fontaine Futuristics. He owns it now, lock, stock and barrel. For the good of the city, he says. He'll break it up in due time, he says. I've resigned from the council and lodged me letter of protest. But that's just pissing in the wind. It'll be war, I say, unless somebody stops Ryan and write fast. So anyway, back to Jack. So he grabs the camera, heads over to Peach Wilkins, who's like, sick, love the camera, thanks very much, bro, and he opens the door. Atlas is like, listen, word to the wise, old Peachy's about as straight as a dog's hind leg. He's lost it. Be ready for anything. And true to form, as soon as we walk through the door, he attacks us and is like, you're here to kill me. You're Fontaine, back from the dead, ain't ya? I know you are. Ah, but we kill him. Child works. That's how it works. He thinks, he thinks somehow we're Fontaine again. Uh, whatever. Uh, we kill him, we move on. by Peach, worst character in the game. And we eventually make it to a control center overlooking the submarine bay. Atlas is happily babbling away. He's like, me wife Moira, she's a pain in the neck, but God, she's a beauty. And me boy Patrick, I can't help but feel God's punishing me for bringing him to this place. They went for some real Irish names, didn't they? Moira and Patrick, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, so so we get there, uh, and he's like, oh my God, I'm going to fucking get my family, get out of Rapture, can't wait, good times. Uh, and he's like, cool, Boyle, I'm right outside the door. Would you kindly press that button and let me in? Time to shake hands and get out of this hellhole. And there he is down there, Atlas, doing his thing. Suddenly... The lights go out in the control panel, the space goes dark, and an alarm blares. What happened? Atlas yells. You blow a fuse up there? I can't see a damn thing in the booth. And then, more panicked, we see Atlas run to the bathosphere. Moira, can you hear me in there, darling? Andrew Ryan coughs up in our ear. Ooh, so dark in there. If only your friend could look up and see you. Maybe you could warn him. Maybe you could do something, anything, except stand there and watch him die. Boom. The bathosphere explodes. Shrapnel, metal, piping, water. It all engulfs the space. Ryan's just a dick at this point. Like He is a petty, petty dick. At this point, what's even the point? Yeah, just yeah. leave, you fucked it. We're just trying to leave. <laughs> leave us alone. But yeah, so really, really like... just Your social break. experiment's done, man. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, yeah, big boom. Uh, we see Atlas is blown back just as Jack is. Splicers swarm the rune and desperately Jack runs out of the control booth, down one of the back corridors, rushing to escape Neptune's bounty. It doesn't go to help Atlas. Oh, we're, we're separated. Al he's, Atlas he's is there. his deed. Yeah. And then Ryan continues and he goes, you ooze in like an assassin and then you try to sneak out like a thief. You're no CIA spook. Who are you? Why have you come here? Oh, 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 there are two ways to answer a mystery. Uncover it or eliminate it. As we rush through, we see the smoking charred body of Jack's a woman. Just, Jack's just running around. I'm just a rando. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening here. My plane crashed. <laughs> Leave me alone. Pure, question. Mm. Is this pure circumstance or was there a reason his plane crashed? There's no reason his plane crashed. Oh, pure, it circumstance. pure circumstance. It is pure like, look, you're just a guy who knows nothing about what's going on. That's why he doesn't speak. You're the player. Oh, okay. What would happen if you were thrown into Rapture? Um, so yeah, good fun. So anyway, so as we, as we run down, we see the smoking charred body of a woman. Atlas's no. wife, Moira. All seems lost 
and then the radio crackles. Jesus Christ! Atlas sobs. Get out! Get out and get to Arcadia! Moira! Patrick! Ain't that just like Ryan! Waits until we're almost out and then pulls the string! He sobs again and the radio goes quiet while he takes a moment to compose himself. And then he comes back. We'll find the bastard! We'll find him and we'll tear his heart out! He roars. But Andrew Ryan interrupts the transmission. He's not done monologuing. I came to this place to build the impossible. You came to rob what you could never build. A hun at the gates of Rome. Even the air you breathe is sponged from my account. Well, breathe deep. Oh, he's just Elon Musk. <laughs> he's all of them. Just yeah, Elon yeah. Musk. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's a cartoon of He would do this in a heartbeat. You know he would. So he goes, well, breathe deep of that air. So later you might remember the taste. Atlas wrestles control of the airways back. His tone is hard cold, full of hate. Would you kindly, he says, get to the bathosphere in the rolling hills. That'll take you straight to the devil himself. And then all debts will be paid in full. So, do you fancy another Andrew Ryan audio diary to kick off the next part? Oh, of course I do. Fantastic. I love him. Very chuffed. He's my favorite person. <laughs> so it's part four, Arcadia. And Andrew Ryan says, On the surface, I once bought a forest. This is one of his most famous quotes. The parasites claimed that the land belonged to God and demanded that I established a public park there. Why? So the rabble could stand slack-jawed under the canopy and pretend that it was paradise earned. When Congress moved to nationalize my forest, I burnt it to the ground. God did not plant the seeds of Arcadia. I did. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, that is his entire his philosophy in a, in, a, in a paragraph. You know, like, oh, the government tried to make me nationalize a park I own, so I burnt it down. <laughs> so, yeah. Charming guy. But the, the, that final line of God did not plant the seeds in this Arcadia, I did, is categorically wrong. Ryan did not plant the seeds in Arcadia. Chief botanist Julie Langford did, who I, you'll meet shortly. But this is Arcadia. So Arcadia is Rapture's Park. Trees, plant life, fruits, and vegetables are all grown down here. It's how, not just, how does that work under the ocean? Uh, well, I'll about to tell you. How does sunlight work? So it's not just the source of Rapture's greenery, it's the source of its oxygen. A special formula called the Lazarus Vector has been engineered to ensure the trees can grow all the way under the ocean without sunlight, but that's all about to change. So green mist starts to pour from the vents very quickly, the trees and the plant life in Arcadia start to turn sour. They rot, they crust, they brown. Andrew Ryan is killing Arcadia. He's ridding Rapture of its oxygen to snuff us out. Is that not going to kill himself? Uh, I don't know, apparently, maybe, but yeah. So that's his whole plan. Or is he going to be uh, whatever O'Hare with his cans of air? Mm -hmm. Andrew Ryan is definitely the sort of man that was so, so... Okay, so we learn later that oxygen was canned up and sold. For fuck's sake. Yeah, so oh my god. <laughs> so if you needed it free, um, like if, so, so if, you, if you wanted it pure, if you wanted to visit Arcadia, it cost money. Uh, you had to pay to get in. Yeah, it was real, real horrific stuff. Uh, so yeah, so... So does, do, do, is there not oxygen naturally in here? No. It's all, coal comes from Arcadia and is all pumped out into Rapture. And oxygen tanks and stuff are sold for areas that it, they want to always make sure they got some. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so At Atlas radios in, and he goes, Ryan's woman in Arcadia is an old baddie named Langford. An okay sort, but not above doing a dirty job for a dollar. If she's still kicking around, she's gonna want to save her trees. After all, she planted the damn things. He's right. 
Julie Langford is bloody furious that the trees are dying. We make it to her office, but she's sealed herself in. And she's like, my trees? It wasn't you, was it? No. Ryan, I think I've got a way to save the trees. It's a genetic vector that... Oh, and she looks at Jack through the window and she goes, look who I'm talking to. Go and collect these ingredients for me so I can make something to bring them back. So, fetch quest. Sure. Lovely to meet you too. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, straight up. She's she's a bit rude, but clearly she's not like an, a Ryan, Ryan zealot. Um, so we go around and we find the ingredients. And while we're not going to be in Arcadia for very long, but there are a couple of really notable things. The first is another ghostly vision. Why are we getting these? A man and a woman are out on an evening stroll in Arcadia. It's date night, ain't that cute? But I know what you're thinking. What are these visions, Chase? Why are we getting to see ghosts? Yes. Well, Rapture's chief engineer, Bill McDonough, is here to help us out with an audio diary. And he says, Seems like some poor blighters have started to see ghosts. Ghosts! Ryan tells me it's a side effect of all this plasmid business. One poor sod's memories getting passed on to another through genetic sampling. Leaks, lunatics, rebellion, and now bleeding ghosts. Ain't life in Rapture grand? So there you go. It's the genetic splicing. The memories carry from one person to another. Oh, so is is this because the... Is this a Little Sisters thing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Little Sisters, like, whip, take it out, and the memories come with them. And then if you get a Little Sister like Jack's been doing, and you take a little bit of Adam, then, uh... whoa. Yeah. So that's literally what happens. That's how you see the ghosts. I see. Uh, that's very important, by the way. Not for this game, but it will become very relevant later that that is how that works. You see memories through splicing. Easy peasy. Cool. The second is a diary by Julie Langford about Ryan's running of Arcadia. She says, Today, Arcadia was closed off to all but paying customers. The man hires me to build a forest at the bottom of the ocean and then turns a walk in the woods into a luxury. Ryan asked, Should a farmer not be able to sell his food? Is a potter not entitled to profit from his pots? I started to argue with the man and then I remembered who signed my checks. Only thing worse than a hypocrite is an unemployed one. So Langford did not like the fact that the city was being privatized, but she's like, look, I need the money, so fine. She didn't like the fact that the city built to be privatized was being privatized. <laughs> You're not Why wrong. did you come down here? That was the that was the point. That is the message. You're absolutely right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> so we further learn. Is she stupid? Uh no, she's very smart. She's a smart lady. I um, just scientifically sure. I look, your philosophies can change, right? And I, I think that there's a point where you go, oh yeah, unregulation, privatization, and then someone goes, yeah, but it's fucking air. <laughs> you know, like, you know, yeah, sure, privatize beer or whatever, but like, air, I, I think it's water, it's water, it's the privatization. So are, are we the Lorax come to free, come to free rapture? Yes. <laughs> Pull it on our mustachioed bottom. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, again, like you, you, there is real life parallels to this. In the UK, the privatization of Thames Water, now it's all fucked. You know, the, and the amount that people have to pay down south in England for their water and stuff is crazy. Um, Flint, the Flint water. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, there's parallels. There are real life parallels. The only difference there is that, you know, water, air, which one's more important? Technically air, but I mean, water is equally as important. Mm. Um, anyway, so... We further learn through more Langford diaries that not only did Ryan privatize Arcadia, the only way to get clean, fresh oxygen in Rapture, but he and she devised a business plan to sell the oxygen to the people of the city. Andrew Ryan privatized air. And then we see this. Oh, fuck's sake. Uh, can you tell me what you're looking at on screen? Who is Atlas, which is feeling very Atlas shrugged? <laughs> Very similar to who is John Galt, absolutely. Um, so yeah, this is a poster that we see. There's a few of these throughout. Is is he gonna be? 
our first revolutionary. A poster of a man that looks a lot like Atlas is shown in Arcadia. White shirt, suspenders, closely cropped hair, with the phrase, who is Atlas on it? And of course, our helpful Irish friend explains. But he sounds a bit defeated when he says it. He goes, yeah, I was a... Well, they called me a revolutionary. <laughs> For fuck's sake! It was a child's dream. Thought I could make Rapture a better place. That doesn't matter anymore. All that matters is getting Ryan and getting out of here. So he's still a revolutionary then? Uh, yeah, but he's, he's less about the movement for him now and more about just petty revenge. Just, you kill my wife and child. Doesn't feel very petty. Yeah, yeah well, he's like, I don't really care about taking over Rapture. Like, I don't want to make it a socialist utopia. I don't care about any of that. I just want to kill you and leave. That's all I care about. So after Frank Fontaine died, Rapture changed. We learn through various audio diaries that Atlas used to work for Fontaine. He was one of the smugglers. He was there when he died. He didn't love Fontaine or anything, but he liked the idea and the message, you know, the working man and, and getting more. And after Fontaine died, Atlas took up arms and tried to start a revolution against Andrew Ryan. It was him and his men who bombed the Kashmir restaurant. That big bomb that was the catalyst for all of this. He was the guy that organized that. Hmm. And again, when he tells us these things, he does. He sounds very defeated. His whole thing is like, I tried, okay? I tried. I tried a thing, and it didn't work. I just tried, tried a bomb, and hmm. they said I had to try it. Which makes it ironic that Diane McClintock, Ryan's girlfriend, and a woman who's heavily scarred by the Kashmir restaurant bombing started to sympathize with Atlas and his cause. We pick up audio diaries from her. Again, so she, she remembers she gets bombed, she goes to visit Steinman. Uh, and after this, she says, I couldn't believe how much things had changed since I left Dr. Steinman's office. It's like, I don't even recognize Rapture no more. I hear they've been rounding up people in Apollo Square. I asked Ryan how he could do such things to innocents. He said, innocents? They haven't chosen to defend Rapture. They've chosen to side with Atlas and his bandits. So this is the, the smuggling, the hanging of the smugglers and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and after, after Fontaine died, it wasn't just smugglers who were being hung now. It was people who worked for Atlas and were part of his cause. Even Bridget Tenenbaum started to change. She began to feel guilty about all the little sister experiments and stuff. So despite the cruel treatment, they looked to her as a mother. And that ate at something deep inside of her. And we find her an audio diary where she says, quote, these children I brutalized have awoken something inside that for most is beautiful and natural, but in me is an abomination, my maternal instinct. So she started like, there's something going on in my body and I don't Gross, like I feel like a mom. Yeah, 100%, yeah. Jack collects the ingredients for the Lazarus Vector, sends it through to Langford. She starts mixing up the concoction, but before she can pour it all into the central system, a familiar drawl echoes for out. For fuck's sake, you petty <laughs> piece of shit. Oh, he's very petty here. So he, he calls Ugh. her up. Uh, so, yeah, so he's like, oh, Julie, we made a business. He does, he sings a lot of this. He's enjoying this moment. He goes, we made a business deal, you and I. Did we not? Money changed hands. Let me read from you. And he pull, you can hear the paper rustling as he, like, pulls out a contract. And he's like, let me read to you from the agreement. Section 3, subsection 4. Langford turns white as she plugs the vector into the system. Her hands tremble with fear. And Ryan continues. Ryan Corp maintains exclusive rights to the creation, use, and exploitation of the Lazarus Vector. Ownership is civilization, Julie. Without it, we're back in the swamp. And then he gasses her. A concentrated dose through the ducts in her office. Langford collapses to the floor, dead. Thankfully, Jack is able to finish pushing the buttons and Arcadia's trees are saved. Hooray, oxygen. But it's another body left in his way. Can he not burn that down too? No. Feels like he has full control of all the facilities of Rapture. I feel like he could just like blow up the forest. Eh, well, yeah, uh, but Ryan rings us up. Feels like he's pettied everyone but Jack. So Ryan's like, 
Why are you so resistant to the traditional means of separating a man from his soul? You're not CIA, are you? And then there's a beat and he goes, Ah, you belong to Atlas. The one roach I can't seem to exterminate. Don't worry, I just need time to find the proper poison. So which makes sense, right? Ryan would hate Atlas, revolutionary, etc. As we dock the bathysphere once again, Atlas is like, Alright, you need to step out into Fort Frolic and then step onto another bathysphere to get to Ryan's house in Hephaestus. Frolic is Sander Cohen's domain. He's an artist, says some. He's a Section 8, says I. Do you know what a Section 8 is? No. Oh, it's like you're, you're mentally ill. Oh. Yeah. Okay. A real dyed-in-the-wool psychopath. So he's an artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says, he's a real dyed-in-the-wool psychopath. But don't worry, the other doc is just next door. You probably won't need to see the guy. And yeah, obviously that is exactly when Sander Cohen interrupts Atlas's broadcast. He cuts him off completely, erases the signal, and he doesn't just do that. He cuts out Andrew Ryan as well. So neither of them now have access to our radio for, while, while we're in here. And he goes... Ah, that's better. A purple curtains emerge from holes in the ceiling as a gigantic white masquerade mask in the shape of a rabbit hangs over the bathysphere. Again, we need to get in that bathysphere, but he's locked it down. As balletic performers spin around on turning platforms dressed all in white, not saying a word, but slowly moving their arms in a slow motion dance. As the bathysphere itself is locked off from us, Sander Cohen croons, and he says, Atlas... Ryan. Atlas Ryan. Da 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 dull. Time was you could get something decent on the radio. The artist has a duty to seduce the ear and delight the spirit. So say goodbye to those two blowhards and hello to an evening with Sander Cohen. I like him. And I've named part five an evening with Sander Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> I dig him, I like him. Cohen is like, I haven't seen another living soul come down here in months. So, let's see if you're another Johnny come lately or something more, hmm, delicious. Fort Frolic is Rapture's shopping and entertainment district. Theatre, music, cinema, fashion, you name it, is probably here. But now it's been taken over by Sander Cohen's fans, dressed from head to toe in white uniforms and bunny masks like rabid groupies. But not everything down here is still alive. Corpses have been preserved, fixed in place, painted over with white paint in various states of being. Some of them look like they're sitting down to dinner. Others simply look like they're performing a dance number in a bathroom. Cohen has transformed all of Fort Frolic into a walking tour of the artistic spirit. Ha! Huh. Yep. Or at least, his artistic spirit. So Cohen, uh, Andrew Ryan loved musicals. On the surface, Cohen was a director, a choreographer, and a leading man in your classic Guys and Dolls type musicals. He was great back in the day, but on the surface, he started to lose, lose it a little bit. 
um, lose the magic, lose the charisma, lose the vibe. But despite all the doubters, Andrew Ryan really loved his stuff. Mm. He, and it's just a personal taste thing. That is all this is. It's not that Cohen is some incredible artist or anything like that. He was just a guy that Andrew Ryan really liked his shows. Um, really, that that is it. And, and there's a scene where uh, Ryan and Bill, uh, after Bill's been recruited, they're still in New York, and they go to Broadway so Ryan can introduce him to Sander Cohen. It's like, he's going to leave the Arts and Entertainment District. And Bill sits through, like... A, 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 a musical and he's like this is garbage man and, he's, and he looks at Andrew Ryan and he's like do 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 like really enjoying it and he's like okay I'm not going to say anything because <laughs> he clearly my boss clearly likes it and they go back at the end and they meet Sander Cohen and when they do uh, Cohen comes back and he's like what did you think Mr. Ryan did you love it did you love it and Ryan's like it was fantastic Cohen it was absolutely fantastic and he goes who's this man who's this grumpy bear of a man and, and Bill's like hello I'm Bill and, and he goes mm, what did you think of my musical and Bill literally cannot think of anything to say he's trying to find something nice to say and he's like it was a musical <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and he's like ah yes good I, I appreciate that you understood the form or something it's great so anyway so we're here, we're stuck with Sander Cohen for a while. He's locked down the bathosphere. I test you, little moth, Cohen says, and that's what he calls Jack the entire time. Like I test all of my disciples. He sends a host of his cronies at Jack, and we gun them down as the spotlight follows us around. And okay. while, yeah, yeah, and like, so there's like a, someone up there like operating the spotlight. And, and, and while we do, Cohen like claps his hands together watching over cameras, and he's like, Yeah, woo, nicely done. Where did you study, Juilliard? <laughs> We're like fighting them. Uh, but once we pass his test, uh, he sends us off to the theatre to meet his protege, Fitzpatrick. So Cohen's assistant. Okay. Fitzpatrick is desperately playing the piano. <laughs> he's really trying to work through this complex song on the keys and as he does Cohen barks at him from don't I fucking know that feeling <laughs> and so as he does it you know he's like da 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 and then Cohen's like getting a note wrong and he goes no wrong again and between the notes we can hear Fitzpatrick crying until eventually as another one goes wrong and another one goes wrong he throws his hands up in frustration he goes Cohen you sick fuck let me out of this boom the piano explodes <laughs> Fitzpatrick goes with it <laughs> so clearly the piano was like wired to the point where he stopped playing it would just explode um, and Cohen like radios us up and he goes come down now little moth life death the burden of the artist is to capture see young Fitzpatrick on the stage use your camera take him as he is so I may Remember him. So that's it. That's what Cohen wants us to do. He wants us to complete his latest art piece. A few of his disciples are hidden away in Fort Frolic, hiding from him. Our job is to hunt them down, kill them, and take their picture. <laughs> okay. So once that's complete, Cohen promises he will let us move on to Hephaestus, and that is so. That is exactly what we do. So while we're going to do this, let's talk a bit more about Sander Cohen because he's brilliant. So, oh, art by a pirate cashew. On Those the left. are fucking. Done in. Really beautiful. Those are really good. Um, Sander Cohen, the fan art is incredible. So on the left here, we've got art by Pirate Cashew. On on the right, Teddy Raygun. Uh, the names are on screen, uh, and the names will be in the description. Ooh. So yeah, on the on the surface, hack. He had a little bit of magic in him, but time went on. It just, the 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 t he wasn't able to keep up with the times. Mm. So uh, yeah, I told you, Bill McDonough meets Cohen, and and Bill is immediately like, I don't like this guy. I think his music sucks. Cohen's a bit of a creeper. I don't like this. Um, so yeah, but clearly. Andrew Lyon absolutely loved him. 
Of course, what that meant with Cohen being able to take over the entertainment district was that he also took control of the airwaves. Rapture Radio wasn't owned by Ryan, it was owned by him. It was like leased out by Andrew Ryan. And so it often played the music that he wrote. It was basically just a Sander Cohen playlist. So any artists looking to have their big break in Rapture had to please his tastes, which meant anything Cohen didn't like didn't get eyes or ears. His vibe was all that classic style like Bing Crosby, but bear in mind up on the surface music was evolving at this time. Rock and roll, jitterbugs, all of that was in its early experimental stages, and Rapture didn't get any of it. Unless... what? Smugglers. Smugglers, absolutely. So smugglers brought down that sort of music and it got through to some of Cohen's disciples. They're like, oh, like an electric guitar. This is incredible. Ah, so one of the disciples we need to hunt down is a musician called Silas Cobb, who has got himself a guitar and some fun songs. I've not got a picture. He's not that important. But he's completely lost faith in Cohen. In fact, during the war between Ryan and Atlas, where Rapture began to fall apart, Cobb tried to take over the radio and play one of his songs. Cohen did not like that, and so he locked him in the record store. Yeah. Quote, so this is from Cobb, that we find an audio diary by him, and he goes, You wanna lock us in, old man? Oh, that's fine with Cobbsy. I used to love you. I used to think you were a musical genius. You know why? Because you paid my rent, you ancient hack. Come to the record store. I'll show you what I think of your plinkety plink plink. So, uh, yeah. And we go down and we, we, we kill him. We kill him for Cohen. Uh, but it's not just music and plays that Cohen created. Paintings, poetry, fashion, you name it, and he had his paws all over it. Okay. And when people started to moan about the same old stuff coming out of Fort Frolic, and especially when Ryan stopped coming to Sander Cohen's shows, because, you know, it, it wasn't cool really to be seen at them anymore, Cohen started to take it incredibly personally. Here's an audio diary titled The Doubters by Sander Cohen. Rapture's going to hell, and why... Because of them, always behind the scenes, at the Lyceum, at the galleries in Soho, even down here in this so-called utopia, the doubters. But Ryan understands. We're simpatico. Yes, there's blood on the streets. Yes, people sometimes disappear and, oh, those awful little girls. Well... I suppose the doubters think you can paint a picture without soiling your smock. And here's one of his poems, written a few months after Ryan stopped coming to his shows. Oh. The Wild Bunny by Sander Cohen I want to take the ears off, but I can't. I hop, and when I hop, I never get off the ground. It's my curse, my eternal curse. I want to take the ears off, but I can't. It's my curse. It's my fucking curse. I want to take the ears off. Please take them off, please. Static cuts off. <laughs> sure. Great. So as we continue on our killing spree, we eventually find ourselves at Eve's Garden, which is the primo strip club in Rapture. Woo! You might remember uh, earlier I was showing you posters, you saw one for Eve's Garden, and it had Jasmine Jolene, who is Andrew Ryan's favourite gal, as like one of the leading oh, strippers. Yeah, yeah. And so on the surface, Jasmine Jolene was one of Sandra Cohen's dancers, she was a chorus girl, um, and there was clearly like a little summon going on there between Ryan and Jasmine Jolene. Again, when Bill meets Cohen, she comes back uh, behind them and she's absolutely gorgeous. And and, and she like brushes past Cohen by accident, trying to get into place for her next moment. And, and Cohen kind of he, he stares daggers at her. There's no explicit confirmation 
but the fan base has essentially decided amongst ourselves that Cohen is definitely queer, um, almost certainly gay. Um, there's really no no idea that he's interested in women at all. In fact, I think he's quite repulsed by women, is the kind of idea we get. Okay. From, from the book especially, when jo- Jolene passes by, he really looks at her like like he's touched something stinky. And as she goes by, she's like, Hello, Mr. Ryan! Like, she's got a really, like, annoying little voice, like a nasally voice. And Ryan's like, Hello, Jasmine! How is your... Oh, you a fan... And she's like, Was that good? Did you see me? And Bill remembers that she's the one chorus girl that kind of fucked up the dance. <laughs> and Ryan's like, You were fantastic, my dear. Absolutely scrumptious. And, and Cohen is like... Yes, I don't think she'll be seeing out the season. And Ryan's like, well, I believe that she should. And there's like, that's the end of the conversation. So yeah, really, seems to really like Jasmine Jolene. So if you remember, uh, he's dating Diane McClintock at this time. Yes. But he's clearly off visiting. So we go to Eve's garden uh, and there's big signs out front, you know, come see Jasmine Jolene. There she is, Andrew Ryan's favorite gal. Uh, Ten bucks says this is where he was spending his nights when he was standing up his girlfriend, Diane. You remember back uh, during the the big explosion at the Kashmir restaurant, Diane's like, you're in Hephaestus again and I'm seeing New Year's alone. He was almost certainly here enjoying a bit of Jasmine at the strip club. So when he enters though, Jack gets another ghostly vision. Jasmine Jolene fucking splicing Jolene leading Ryan to her bed. He wasn't just here to watch the show, he was having a full-blown affair. But that affair turns sour. We don't witness the murder, but we hear her cries for help. Jasmine became pregnant and Ryan strangled her to death. She begs for her life, asks him to stop, says that she loves him, and through the screams we pick up her saying that she didn't know Fontaine had anything to do with it. Luckily, she recorded an audio diary that fills us in a little more on what's going on here, because this is odd. She says, Jasmine Julian, That creepy Dr. Tenenbaum promised me it wasn't going to be a real pregnancy. They'd just take the egg out once Mr. Ryan and I had... I needed the money so bad, but I know Mr. Ryan's going to suss it out. Got to know I wasn't being careful. Got to know I sold the... Mr. Ryan's gonna be so mad at me. So Ryan, so she got pregnant. Ryan was happy about it, but she's like, nah, I'm gonna sell it to Tannenbaum to make a little sister or something. No, maybe, uh, we don't really know more. Ryan was not happy about the pregnancy. Uh, the, sorry, yeah, maybe I translated that wrong. The takeaway was Ryan was like, no, you can't be pregnant. I've, I've got, got Diane, I'm the leader of, the, you know, I'm a paragon of- Okay, but it seems like that she was going to get rid of the pregnancy regardless. Mm-hmm. Potentially, um, but again, he did, at this point, he doesn't want Fontaine to have anything that's potentially his, and it sounds like maybe she was going to sell it to Fontaine and Tenenbaum? Ryan wouldn't want that because he didn't like Fontaine at that point. Yeah, okay, I forgot Tenenbaum was one of Fontaine's. So yeah, um, not, not important, it's just an interesting little detail, and it shows Ryan at his, like, most ruthless. Speaking of, and going back slightly, I'm surprised that uh, Ryan let the little sisters wander around, given that they were Fontaine's. Don't forget... Andrew Ryan bought all bought over. He took over of all of Fontaine's stuff. Remember, right in the beginning, we saw Incinerate, a plasmid by Ryan Industries. Oh, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's a good point. The idea I think there is that Fontaine's did the the big dick plasmids, but Ryan did the fire and the superpower plasmids. He took it and was like, "Oh, we can make this better. We can give people superpowers. We can do whatever we want. It's mine now. The little sisters are mine now, etc." Were Tannenbaum and uh, other guy whose name I'm not remember Su Chong. Su Chong. Were they cool? Just switching sides to Ryan. Did they care as long as they were getting paid? I won't tell you much more. We'll learn a bit more about that. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of all of this stuff, we, we kill all of Cohen's disciples, and eventually we get to meet the main man himself. Under spotlight, caked in white makeup, dressed in a glamorous tuxedo, Sander Cohen arrives to meet us to the sound of canned, recorded applause and cheers. <laughs> <laughs> and as he comes down, he's like, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. I love him. Um, so yeah, and he approaches the art piece and marvels at it, and he goes, it's, 
it's beautiful. So like we've like put our photographs in a, a camera's called like a diatect or something. It's basically a bunch of frames as part of like one sculpture, and all okay. the photographs of his dead disciples are in it. Sure. Uh, and he marvels at it, and he goes, "Ah, oh, thank you so much, little moth. You'll find your path to Rhine is now clear. Tell him Sanders said hello. You have your own canvas to paint. Paint it with blood. Paint it with the blood of the man I once loved." Again. The, the the inference here is definitely in love with Randrew Ryan. With the bathysphere opened up, Cohen also lets Atlas's transmissions come through. And what I will point out here is that you are faced with another choice. Uh, you can... There's nothing blocking you. You can kill Cohen. You can. Straight up if you want to. Um, there's not really much you get for it. You get a little audio log and stuff, but don't worry about it. You can or you can't. Uh, every time I don't kill him. He's a creeper, but like, he's entertaining and he's great chat, so just leave him be. And later on, if you don't kill him, um, small spoilers for later, you can go to his apartment where he lives, and if you go in, he'll like bring you up and go, ah, little moth, you stepped into my domain. And uh, there's a couple of dancers and stuff. It's, it's great. It's very cute. But it's not important. It's just a little detail. So anyway, he opens up the airwaves. Atlas's transmissions finally come through. And he goes, Is he, he looks fairly normal. Has he not been on... No, he's he's not really been on Adam. He's not really interested in any of that. Just wants to... He's, he's gone mad just from being in Rapture. Just from everything that's happened. Um, yeah, Cohen's... Maybe he's spliced a little bit, but he's not... not same as Tenderbomb. Not enough to really mess him up. Mm. Um, but yeah. So yeah, Atlas comes through and he goes, What happened to you? I've been trying to raise you for a dog's age. Never mind. Would you kindly head to Ryan's office and kill the son of a bitch? He's got the genetic key to Rapture. We get that from him and we get out of this hellhole. Why didn't he do this ages ago? Why do we need to do this? Well, he hasn't been able to get to him. He just needs our help. He's just, yeah, he's just one man. Was he not in the same place as us back at the fishery with the sub? Uh, he was, but remember, we really got separated there. Like, he, he would not have gotten round to where we were. Okay, but cool. That that still means that at some point he would have been able to. So he, he could have killed Ryan at any time. Potentially. He just He's just lazy. He's, he's here to give us our objectives. <laughs> so yeah, so he's like, would you kindly head to Ryan's office and kill the son of a bitch? He's got the genetic key to Rapture. We get that from him, and we get out of this hellhole. We don't, then you and I are ghosts. It's time to finish this. Okay. Part six, Hephaestus. Do you like that he, he lives in the place for the builder? Because he thinks himself quite a builder, doesn't he? absolutely does, yes. Hephaestus, the, the Greek god, I believe, of yes. building and volcanoes and fire and smithing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So uh, Hephaestus is the heart of rapture. Crank cranking gears, whirring machinery, engines that pump the oxygen, keep the lights on, and channel energy into the city. Of course, Ryan knows we're here. And he's in our ear the entire way. You can taste it, can't you? He says. Andrew Ryan. We step into the hallway leading to his office. Corpses are pinned to the walls. Bill McDonough, Rapture's chief engineer, is here. Oh! Yeah, dead. Why? The guy who resigned from the council when Ryan betrayed his beliefs and took over Fontaine Futuristics. Alongside some other Ryan supporters turned traitors. It seems like Atlas and Ryan's civil war broke into Hephaestus and things turned ugly. Big daddies roam the corridors in their numbers. The fight to Ryan's office is long. A worm looks up and sees the face of God. But look around. It's a regular convention of worms in here, Ryan says. They all had mothers, fathers, people who loved them. I haven't chosen a spot for you on the wall yet. Let me know if you have a preference. It's very good. 
uh, something quite fun here actually. Um, you can so the door at the end. This is his office. This is what we need to get into. It's all like bolted shut. Uh, we basically our time in her faces is we build a bomb to blow it up. But oh. if yeah, but if you walk up and try to shoot it or whack it or try to shock it with electricity, he calls you up again and he starts like wetting himself with laughter. It's like, <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. You think nobody's tried that before? You. He was like, oh, the work that went into you. Oh my god, oh, absolute <laughs> idiot. So yeah, yeah, it's very good. It's very silly. Um, anyway, we need to worm through maintenance tunnels and workshops, get a bomb, blow up the doors, blow the bloody doors off. But we're just going to stick to the main story for now. Don't worry about any of that stuff. It's okay. not that. It's not important. We build a bomb, right? Um, it's fetch quest stuff. As we explore, Ryan's rantings become more unhinged. He was clearly a paranoid wreck at the start of the game, but now with us so close to killing him, he seems to have officially snapped. Rapture is coming back to life, he says. Even now, can't you hear the breath returning to her lungs? The shops reopening, the schools humming with the thoughts of young minds. My city will live, my city will thrive. What did Atlas offer you? A piece of my plundered city? Well, when that day comes, we'll use your tombstones for paving tiles. He's very good. Like, the writing for him is just stellar. And then he goes, A man builds a city at the bottom of the sea. That's a marvel. Another man happens to be on a plane that crash lands on the same city in the middle of the ocean. Wait, so he did know this? Oh, he knows that we crashed here. Yeah, yeah. But he thought we were a CIA agent. We thought we were, you know, he thought it was all planned. How did he know that we crashed? Oh, he's got cameras outside, you know, whatever. Same way he's been monitoring us the whole okay. time. Just cameras everywhere. Yeah. Why, that sounds more like a miracle. I offer you a quick death, Parasite. It will be preferable to what you learn if you win. You're so far away from your family, your friends, from everything you've ever loved. But for some reason, you like it here, don't you? You feel something. Can't quite put your finger on it. Think about it for a second, and maybe the word will come to you. Nostalgia. <sighs> you will not defeat me. Do you understand? My strength is not in steel and fire, but in my intellect and my will. You hear me, Atlas? Andrew Ryan offers you nothing but ashes. A beat. And then, in the end, all that matters to me is me. And all that matters to you is you. It is the nature of things. Eventually, we make it into the control center for Rapture. Andrew Ryan sits in his office in the next room, but he's not done monologuing yet. Is he in a machine? Uh, he's, he's just looking at us through the monitor sort of idea. I mean, that's not a live feed. It's, it's a static kind of thing while he speaks to us. It's just the control center. He's on the other side of this machine. His office is on the other side. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, he's not a computer or anything. That's not what we're building to. He's a man. He's, he's Wizard of Ozing us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, we, we enter him. He's still got a monologue in him. He's still going. Even in the Book of Lies, sometimes you'll find the truth. There is indeed a season for all things, and now that I see you flesh to flesh and blood to blood, I know I cannot raise my hand against you. But know this, you are my greatest disappointment. Does your master hear me? Atlas, you can kill me, but you will never have my city. My strength is not in steel and fire. That is what the parasites will never understand. A season for all things. A time to live and a time to die. A time to build and a time to destroy. Boom. Groan. Crash. Rapture fucking shakes. The whole city woo, buckles for a second. Is your Arcadiaing the whole rapture? Atlas calls us up. What's he doing? He set the core to self-destruct. He's going to take down the whole damn city. Get in there and whack the chump before the whole joint blows. But Ryan's door is locked. There's no way in. So through the vents, Jack crawls. And as he does, he stumbles into what appears to be a secret room. A conspiracy board. 
A terminal man's last act of madness. We see pictures of Su Chong, Tenenbaum, Fontaine all racked up on the wall. A bizarre phrase is smeared over it in red paint, or is it blood? Would you kindly? Threads connect the faces. It doesn't make sense. The order of the pictures of the files, they don't make sense. But before we can think about it too much, it's time for Andrew Ryan. And this is like, do you know anything about this scene, this speech? No. This is one of the most famous speeches in video game history. It, it, when you start saying it, maybe I'll recognize parts, but no, off, no. off top of my head, no. We, I'm very glad we get to witness you experience because it is a fantastic, it just is. The writing is great. Ryan is great. The framing of this is great. Um, the, so it's why I will say is we're not walking, we're not doing anything. This is a cutscene. This is pretty much the first time that we have lost control of Jack the entire game, just so he can witness the cutscene. In the gloom of his office, Andrew Ryan patiently waits, golf club in hand, knocking golf balls into a cup. Bulletproof glass stands between Jack and Ryan. What is up with the businessmen and this weird little strip strip of golf in their office? It's such an iconic like thing, isn't it? It's just such a businessman. It's so weird. I don't get it. Well, he, he, he's doing They always want to be golfing. <laughs> he loves it. Well, I mean, this is the thing as well. I'm shocked there's not, like, and there isn't. Spoilers. There's no golf rink in... in golf Rats. rink? Golf course, sorry. <laughs> golf rink! <laughs> but yeah, so sorry. So he's, he's playing golf. Bulletproof glass stands between Jack and Ryan. One last protection for one last speech. The assassin has overcome my final defense, Ryan muses. And now he's come to murder me. In the end... What separates a man from a slave? Money? Power? No. A man chooses. A slave obeys. You think you have memories? A farm? A family? An aeroplane? A crash? And then this place? Was there really a family? Did that aeroplane crash? Or was it hijacked? Forced down? Forced down by something less than a man. Something bred to sleepwalk through life until they are activated by a simple phrase spoken by their kindly master. Was a man sent to kill or a slave? A man chooses and he like holds the golf club up pointing at us. A slave obeys. He opens the door to his office. Jack enters and control is officially ripped away from the player. Stop, would you kindly? Jack stops. Would you kindly, powerful phrase, familiar phrase? Jack's mind reels. He flashes back every time he's heard the phrase, every time Atlas has said the phrase. Would you kindly pick up that radio? Would you kindly lower that weapon? Would you kindly press that button? Would you kindly head to Ryan's office and kill the son of a bitch? Sit, would you kindly? Stand, would you kindly? Run, stop, turn. Jack follows each command without question. A man chooses, Ryan continues. A slave obeys. He holds the golf club out and presses it into Jack's hand. Kill, he barks. Jack smashes the golf club into the side of Ryan's head. He goes down, picks himself up, looks Jack fiercely in the eye. A man chooses, he slurs. Jack hits him again with the golf club, and he falls to his knees. A slave obeys, he grunts out, his body in shock, his brain already shutting down from each hard smack with the golf club. Jack hits him again. Ryan hits the deck again. And then crawling up to his knees one last time, he screams in Jack's face. Obey! And with a wet thud, Jack brings the golf club down one final time. 
It lodges itself in Ryan's skull, a burst of blood spurts out, and Andrew Ryan flops to the ground, dead. Huh. That was... weird. It is weird. Really glad you didn't, you didn't guess it. I'm very happy. Atlas calls us up on the radio. Hurry now, he says. Grab Ryan's genetic key. Sure, are we, are we meant to believe that Jack was genetically bred and this wasn't all just coincidence? I'm not going to tell you anything. Not right now. Okay. Hurry now, Atlas yells. Grab Ryan's genetic key. And then there's a beat as Jack looks at the key. And then Atlas goes, would you kindly put it in the goddamn machine? Jack does as he's told. Ah. <sighs> Atlas sighs as, like, Raptor stabilizes for a second. It's no longer going to explode. And says, Nice work, boyo! <laughs> and then his voice changes. It's time to end this little masquerade. There ain't no Atlas, kid. Never was. Fell in my line of work takes on a variety of aliases. Hell, once I was even a Chinaman for six months. But you've been a sport, so I guess I owe you a little honest. Please tell me this is Fontaine. The name is Frank Fontaine. Yes! <laughs> Get my boy in here! Yeah, not dead. Our fucking mob bossy boy. I love him. I still want to go back. I'm still very confused by this whole would you kindly thing, but... Don't worry. I'm still very into... Oh, unless it was genetically programmed into the atom. I don't know. I'm into it. And Ryan figured it out. Is Ryan meant to be our good guy here? No, he's not. No, okay. no. Ryan sucks. Ryan sucks. Okay. Ryan sucks. Fontaine sucks. Everybody sucks. <laughs> um, what you've just witnessed, and we're not done, but just what you've just witnessed, it is one of the most famous twists of all time. I'm so glad you have not had this spoiled for you. Is this, is it, going back to the um, inspirations for this, is this the whole thing with the who is blah, blah, blah in Atlas Shrugged? Is that a twist as well? Does that end up being, or is uh, that just no. an open-ended question? Uh, no, no. Uh, you meet John Galt. He is a man. Uh, he is a man who embodies all of Ayn Rand's objectivist beliefs. He's oh. Andrew Ryan, John Galt. He's created this utopia. You find out about it later. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Never just mind. no one knows about him, but it's, yeah, he leaks through. So no, don't worry about that. Okay. Uh, but yeah. So Atlas, Frank Fontaine, all along, and he speaks to like a. My accent isn't fantastic for him, but he speaks in like this almost like deep, monotone Brooklyn accent. You know, oh, you're sleeping with the fishes. So he is a mob boss. He is a mob boss. Yeah, 100%. Um, like the game doesn't even pretend at this point. He goes, I gotta say, I had a lot of business partners in my life, but you, of course the fact that you were genetically conditioned to bark like a cocker spaniel when I said, would you kindly, might have had someone to do with it, but still... Now, as soon as that machine finishes processing the genetic key you just fished off of Ryan, I'm gonna run Rapture, tits to toes. You've been a pal, but you know what they say. What's he gonna run? There's nothing here anymore. But you know what they say, never mix business with friendship. Thanks for everything, Kip. Don't forget to say hi to Ryan for me. The lights flash red, security bots swarm in, opening fire. But just as all seems lost... Watch out, mister! A little sister darts into view and scurries into a vent. She beckons for Jack to follow, and together he rushes to safety. Oh, we love little sisters! He doesn't get very far. As they creep around in Rapture's walls, Jack's head starts to ache and crackle, and he passes out. Part 7, Apollo Square and Olympus Heights. Those names sound familiar. So you will recognize Apollo Square because that is where they hung the smugglers. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Olympus Heights you haven't heard of before. 
I might have mentioned it in passing by accident, but... Okay, cool. Yeah. Welcome back, child, Bridget Tenenbaum's voice says. Welcome to the city where you were born. You were angry at Fontaine, yes? Now you know the truth. You are his tool, brought back to Rapture to save him. So what, did Fontaine shoot our plane out this guy? Did he put us on the plane? I'm... Uh, remember what Ryan said? Did a plane crash? Or was it hijacked? Let me actually go back. I think um, it might be worth me because I, fl I purposefully flicked through the flashes because they are very brief during Ryan's okay. monologue. And you can have a look at what we actually are seeing here. So, uh, boom, 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 boom. Right, so this is a picture of his parents that we see right at the beginning. Yeah. Then we see Jack smoking his, his cigarette on the plane at the start. Yeah. Uh, you know, was it hijacked? Uh, it goes on. And then this. There's a. Can you can you read what's what we're looking at? Can you explain what we're looking at here? Uh, there is a, a a package. There's a revolver in the package. Looks like it was a present. Um, because there's a bow next to it and it, a note that says to Jack with love from mum and dad. Would you kindly not open until? Um, and then some coordinates. Yes, and inside is a gun. Um, and I'm assuming those coordinates are Rapture. Yes. Yeah, so he got on the got on the plane. Wait, hold on, hold on. Oh, you think you can find it? I'm Google mapping it. <laughs> so for, if you're following along, everyone, we've got uh, 63 by 2 north, I think, and 29 by 55 west. Oh, yeah. Where is it? Like dead center between Iceland and Greenland. Dead center between Iceland and Greenland. That makes sense. That, that sounds like about where you said it would be. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Nubis is back. Nubis is back. Hello. Um, what? So you got your nails some done? Gorgeous, gorgeous nails. Do you want, do you want some? Yeah, oh. oh, my cup ASMR of tea. Channel. Oh, Let's yeah. Go. She's on a cup of tea, not the adult juice. Um, <laughs> Sorry, do you want me to do it on the can? Actually, that that'll sound nicer. No, stop this. Can, can we move on? <laughs> <laughs> but they're pretty. They're pretty. They are pretty. Do, do you want to describe them? Um, they are very basic. They're white and pink with hearts. Um, for, for, for You're gonna have to put a little like after this commercial break, like interim. Otherwise, if we cut from the last sentence, yeah. you said pre-break to just suddenly Nubis is back. <laughs> That's gonna be the most jarring. It's perfect timing because we have quite literally the entire game has just been flipped on its head. Um, Yay! You've, you've missed the majority of it. We've got two parts left to go. Brilliant. Uh, Chase has just had his mind blown by one of the greatest twists in video game history. Um, I mean, you say have his mind blown. I did say, is it Fontaine the second before the reveal? Yes, but you didn't call that Atlas was a baddie, that Jack was like biologically engineered. That's, that's um, fair enough. So all of that is about to get properly explained, so I won't give too much away. Brilliant. To be fair, I feel like you could predict Atlas is a baddie. The whole genetically mod you weren't gonna guess that. Was there clues to that? There absolutely were. You're gonna get find out how there were clues to it in a minute. Okay. Uh, so yeah, don't worry. So basically, long, long and short of it, Nubis is. Wait, a gunshot on the water. That seems dangerous. Yeah, there's a proper firefight. It's all right, all the glasses. Oh, we, are, we, we already went into this. There's like bubbles around oh, the city. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, they're fine. Okay. You're all fine. They, they, they loop a restaurant at one point. Oh, the oh. Okay. Yeah, well, it's all fine. So the whole time. How did that work with the auction? It doesn't matter. Doesn't doesn't matter. Matter. Doesn't matter. Sorry, We've covered I'll, it. I'll, We've I'll covered it. Bubbles. To this. I'll re listen to this, right? And I'll get all my answers. It's, all it's fine. So, so everything, everything's a bubble. Fuck the rich. Yes. <laughs> sure. No, yeah. eat the rich. Sit, would you kindly? Stand, would you kindly? And then eventually he's like, kill me, would you kindly? Why? Well, okay, so I'll explain this now because this isn't explained later. This is a reading of the scene. 
Andrew Ryan's whole thing is a man chooses a slave obeys. And he's like, I'm a man. You're a slave. I have free will. Object objectivism. I have free will. And my choice in this moment is to prove that even in my dying moments, I'm more, I'm more worth than you, you slave, you creature, you nothingness. Kill me. Go on. And he chooses, he chooses his death. He quite literally chooses his death in the end. So Jack... Beats him to death. Then oh, why oh. not choose to kill Fontaine? What do you mean choose to kill Fontaine? Turn him around and say, would you kindly go kill Atlas? Uh, because, uh, okay, fair enough. But I think the takeaway is more just that he's also a bit mad by this point. He's lost it. Like, I do I do get the point of I'm choosing how I go and that's more than you'll ever get. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, I do understand the thematics there. But simultaneous, does he not want to continue? Like, he's been going this whole time like, it's my city. Ha <laughs> ha. Do yeah, you not want to keep his city? There's nothing left of it at this point. Okay, right? then why does Frank want it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you've got a really good point there. But to but actually to back up Chase's point, yeah, it is a little bit conflicting because as we're moving in, Nubis, uh, uh, Andrew Ryan over the comms as we're getting closer and closer to him is like you can feel it it's coming back the schools the children they're all back and they're, no one's here no one's here everyone's, everything's dead there's like 10 people that survived tops and a bunch of mindless monsters so it's it's nothing you're absolutely right but I guess it, it just depends on how the brainwashing works right the point is that Jack was brainwashed by Frank Fontaine we'll learn more about what that means in a minute to work for Frank Fontaine yes he responds to the would you kindlies but if you have two conflicting would you kindlies He's already told him, go and kill Andrew Ryan. If Andrew Ryan then turns to Jack and goes, no, go kill Frank Fontaine, would you kindly? They will conflict. And I think the idea is that Andrew Ryan understands that because of that conflict, he would go back to Fontaine, Fontaine's. Mm. Just because he was, he was programmed by Fontaine. Fontaine's got the master key sort of idea. I see. The one other thing, does Ryan know that Atlas is Fontaine? Mm. No, he doesn't. He dies not learning that. Because one thing, we physically, I suppose, to be fair, the Adam can change you genetically and what you look like because we we have physically seen atlas at the sub we've seen atlas yes you'll learn more about that so in a minute I... what i will say though is frank fontaine not even his real name we never learn what this guy's real name is everyone's just called fontaine in the book you learn that the way that fontaine got into rapture was he heard about andrew ryan big pro big wealthy guy building a city he's like this sounds interesting oh a man could really like own all of this stuff if he he's a con man that is his thing he's a right. con man he's a confidence man right so as we learned in red dead redemption 2 so so frank fontaine not even his name there was a man called fontaine that was invited to rapture not like oh so he just took his place just, just took his place he killed him and fontaine fisheries and everything he's like i'm fontaine now and nobody questioned it because nobody ever really met the real frank fontaine ryan sent him a letter doesn't know what he looks like so fontaine not oh. even this guy's real name and as he says to him, he's like, oh, I've been plenty of people. I even pretended to be a Chinese guy once. You know, he's he's just, he's this the world's greatest con man. That is all he is. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. So I we're like going to learn a little bit more about that in a minute. But um, you haven't met a couple of other key points. There was, there was your Midlore dump five-minute recap. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Um, and I will figure out how much of this I'm going to cut, cut, cut out. But yeah, Nubis is back, everyone. Oh. Let's finish Bioshock. So... Part 7, Apollo Square and Olympus Heights. Welcome back, child, Bridget Tenenbaum's voice says. Welcome to the city where you were born. You were angry at Fontaine, yes? Now you know the truth. You are his tool, brought back to Rapture to save him. What's she's so Austrian. funny? She's Austrian. No, she's Russian, what's that? I don't know. <laughs> she's actually Belarusian. Uh, she's not, oh, sorry, she's, you're right. right. So she's Belarusian, not Austrian. You're, I was wrong. You're yeah. correct, you're right. 
Bellamy. Sorry, I wasn't. I don't know why I wasn't expecting oh, it. I you've missed all the accents. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, Tenenbaum. So she's here. Look at her go. She's smoking her cigarette. Wow. She paces back and forth. And around the room are numerous little sisters, cured little sisters, playing, drawing, napping. This seems to be a safe house of sorts where she and the girls have taken refuge, away from Fontaine, Ryan, anybody. You saved some of my little ones, she says. I owe you a debt. Once. What if you didn't save any of them? Does she still say that? Uh, yeah. What if you killed them all? Because you have the choice, don't you? You do. Yes, thank you. Yeah, you weren't here for the choice. But yeah, you have choices. I thank you. That. Um, so you, she, uh, I don't remember what she says. The line changes ever so slightly, but she goes like, You um, murdered my children, you <laughs> piece of swine. Yeah, she's kind of like, despite the fact I don't like you, my little ones seem fond, even though you're scary. I'm, regardless, <laughs> Tenenbaum helps you. Even though you're a spooky murderer. Mm. So also, Chase, uh, to, to talk about the, just to go back for a second. The idea of Jack speaking at the start, then not having a voice. You're tricked being a guy that plays games, you think, oh, it's just a player player character. In fact, no, he doesn't have a voice because Atlas is his voice. He 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 tells him what to do and he just he's a robot. He goes and follows them and blah, 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 beep, bleep, boop, I do the job. That's the why Jack doesn't speak. The whole thing is one big play on metatextual first person games like this. It's all very clever. Um but yeah, just to add that in. Anyway, so and that's why the control is ripped away from Jack when he kills Andrew Ryan for like the first time. So well a couple it happens a couple of times. Anyway, so she says, you saved some of my little ones. I owe you a debt. While you sleep, I undid some of Fontaine's mental conditioning. His control is no longer complete, but he can still pull some very unpleasant strings. We made your mind with many locks and keys. Fontaine has most of those keys, but not all. Su Chong designed your mind, taught Fontaine to control you. You might find answers in Su Chong's flat in Mercury Suite. So, we've got our goal. Is Su Chong alive, do we know? Don't know. Uh, just, but we've got our goal, though. We've got to find him. Find Su Chong. And with that mention of Dr. Suchong, I can finally take you back to something I technically should have shown you earlier, but I really did not want to give the twist away. We okay. find this before finding Ryan. In the Would You Kindly secret room, there is in fact an audio diary that you can listen to. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's very disturbing. So it shows, it, you hear Dr. Suchong, and he's speaking to a little boy. Is he speaking to us? The inference is he's speaking to Jack as okay. a child. And he says, I'm not going to do the accent, but he says, your puppy. She's very pretty. And then the little boy goes, thank you, Papa Souchong. And he goes, break her neck for me. Oh, that was the thing. And yes, yes. Uh, the, earlier we had a picture of Souchong and the quote underneath him was break that sweet puppy's neck. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't know what the context was, but now we'd we're about to learn. And so he says, break her neck for me. And you can hear the dog like, <laughs> you know, all playing around and getting snuffles and snuggles and stuff. And, and the boy goes, what? And he always laughs. Like the whole thing sounds so ridiculous. And then Souchong goes, Break that sweet puppy's neck. And this time it's much more serious. And the boy starts to cry. And the puppy barks at Su Chong. And then the boy goes, no, please. And then Su Chong finishes, break that sweet puppy's neck. Would you kindly? And there's, you can hear the smile in his voice. And the boy goes, no. And he keeps saying no over and over. And the sobs get louder and louder. We hear the puppy wince. A crack and it falls silent. We can find that before, and it does give away. Impact for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah. So yeah, this is like this is grim. Uh, so anyway, next. So the little sisters guide Jack out of Tenenbaum's safe house. So again, you're seeing them. They've got their little bunk beds. Like, she's got a little party hat on. They're having a lovely time. I it's, love just, this. It's great. Our little sisters having the best time. Are they gonna age now? Uh, yes, they will. They uh, they do age now. Do they remember th their time as little sisters? Uh, good question. Don't know. Are they gonna grow up with some like? real severe mental issues because of this. 
This this feels pretty traumatic. I will say no, they don't. Why? We do have that confirmed in the series. I can't tell you more right now. They are totally fine. Therapy can do wonders. Uh, so <laughs> uh, you'll know, it's like, so tell me how you're feeling. Well, I was in an underwater city and I had a slug in me. And <laughs> the little sisters had slugs in them. They were atom factories. Used they turned superpowers. They, they they would suck juice out of corpses. Yeah. Oh. Real grim, real grim. So anyway, so little sisters are having a grand old time. Look, clearly what it's one of their birthdays. They're, they're, they're great. And uh, they lead us out of the safe house and they take us to Mercury Suites and Olympus Heights. Rapture's residential districts. But Frank Fontaine watching us through Rapture's cameras radios in. And now you got hooked up with Tannenbaum, huh, kid? She's a regular mother goose. All right, fun's fun. But now go get stepped on by a big daddy. Would you kindly? But of course, Tenenbaum has undone the programming, so Fontaine tries a different tact. Ah, seems like Mother Goose has been playing around in your egg salad. Well, yeah, yeah, look, he's great. He really, he really is all about this stuff. Well, if you won't dance to that tune, I got others. Code Yellow. Searing pain. Jack's head pounds. Colors seem too bright. Whatever Fontaine did, it hurts. Okay, so would you kindly doesn't work, but there are other... He's got other stuff. Other sleeper phrases. He says, I just told your brain to tell your heart to stop beating. Not right off the bat, mind you. The heart's a stubborn muscle, but it ain't that stubborn. So time's a ticking. We need to get... And our health bar reduces a little bit as oh. well. Yeah, yeah. We need to get to Suchong. We need to find him. We need to find this evil guy that, that did the programming, all that sort of thing. So we need to get his formula that will take away all of Fontaine's control. Turns out the Fontaine asked him to make it on the down low, a fail-safe just in case. Mm. His whole thing is, I'm a con man. I've always got a plan B. What, Code Yellow specifically? And for, for all of it, all the brainwashing. It's oh. like, maybe it goes wrong. I need a way to stop the brainwashing. Suchong oh, made that. Oh, okay, 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 okay. But by that point, Rapture had started to fall into hell and Fontaine never got hold of the, the thing just to take away the control. So it's now sitting with Suchong somewhere. While we're exploring the Mercury Suites, Fontaine keeps popping up to mock us and play with our mental programming. He reduces our health bar more, it makes our plasmids randomly rotate, so we can't reliably use our powers, stuff like that. But while we work through the level, we get to dip in and out of the homes of Rapture's finest. And you missed Sander Cohen earlier, but Sander Cohen is the head of the arts and entertainment district. We go to his apartment! You go to, we go, get to go to his apartment. Okay, so here's just an example of our Rapture apartment. Clearly, this whole family has died. Mm. Um, this is Fontaine's apartment. I'll take you back to Sander Cohen in a minute. So it's ostentatious, stuffed animals, paintings, spruced up offices. It seems relatively untouched by the carnage that's faced the rest of Rapture. Like the splicers wouldn't come near the place in case Frank Fontaine's ghost still haunted the halls. <laughs> so again, everybody thought he was dead, but they were all scared of him. And of course, there's some audio logs. So audio log from Fontaine says, These sad saps. They come to Rapture thinking they're going to be captains of industry, but they all forget that somebody's got to scrub the toilets. What an angle they gave me. I hand these mugs a card and a bowl of soup, and they give me their lives. Who needs an army when I've got Fontaine's home for the poor? And that's capitalized. This is another business that he invested in. So poor houses. Okay. Yeah, so we learned that he faked his death during the firefight at Neptune's bounty and secretly went to Dr. Steinman, who was a cosmetic surgeon, to change his face, re-emerging as Atlas. That's why when we saw him, he looked like Atlas. He literally does look like Atlas. He got the, the, the cosmetic surgery. A revolution followed with Atlas at the forefront. So Steinman knew this. Steinman knew. Yeah, yeah, Steinman knew. But Steinman didn't care. 
It's just another thing, another person for him to practice his cosmetic surgery on. But again, everyone's scared of Fontaine. So even the asymmetry in the art that Steinman did and stuff, probably he was just too scared. He went, I'm not going to mess with you, Fontaine. What do you want to look like? I'll do it. And mm -hmm. he, he did. So yeah, so all of that. We learned that he installed vending machines labeled Power to the People all over Rapture that quite literally just provided free guns and ammunition to anybody that wanted it. Wow. Yeah, it was like, look, just get a gun, start shooting cops, shoot business owners, don't care, take what's yours. Uh, he led and funded a class war against Rhyme. All of the foundations had been put in place when he was Frank Fontaine, but as Atlas, he could now capitalize on those foundations and take over Rapture by force. Apollo Square... The city center of Rapture is a war zone. Gallows stand where public lynchings of smugglers took place. Parts of the city were officially locked off to Rapture's residents, and full districts were conquered by Atlas and his people, including here. Atlas's crusade wasn't protests, it was bloodthirsty battle. And it was here that Diane McClintock, Andrew Ryan's girlfriend, first met Atlas. Bear in mind, she had her face blown up in the Kashmir bombing, so Atlas blew up the Kashmir restaurant, this big moment that was a terrorist attack. She went and got her face fixed, she saw the lynchings, and she went, wow, this is not on, what is Ryan doing? And then she met Atlas. Frustrated with Ryan and disillusioned by Rapture, her feelings about the whole city changed when she saw how brutal Andrew Ryan's security forces were, and it's through her eyes that we see Rapture's dying days best. So, here's the last of her audio logs in order. Audio log 1. I bribed one of the gorillas at the gate to let me in. It's awful in here. To my right I can see a dead woman lying in the street. Everyone's just walking by her like she isn't there. But I noticed something spray-painted everywhere. Atlas lives. I don't know what it means, but something tells me it's important to these people. Audio log 2. The people here have grown to trust me. Ryan's mistress and they still take me in. They finally brought me to Atlas. Without him, the people of Apollo Square would give up. I asked him if he was going to lead the people in some kind of uprising against Ryan. He sighed and said, I am not a liberator. Liberators do not exist. These people will liberate themselves. I thought Andrew Ryan was a great man. I was a fool. So she was bought in by Atlas's whole spiel. Audiologue 3. We went on a raid outside the wire today. We snagged 31 rounds of buckshot, four frag grenades, a shotgun. A why were there so many guns down here? Oh, just again. Well, why are there so many guns in America? You know, why are there so many guns in, in anywhere? You know, it's just free enterprise. Make them. People want them. Sure. Yeah. Um, Sure. Just throw America back at you, Chase. That's why. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I, I regularly do, so you know, nothing now. So yeah, four frag grenades, a shotgun, and 34 Adam. She sounds really excited about all the stuff they got. We lost McGee, Epstein, and Valet. We got one of those goddamn big daddies, though, in the bargain. It was something awful what they did to that little girl to get the Adam, though. But we didn't start this thing. Ryan did. I can't wait to tell Atlas. He'll be so pleased. The audiologue we find in a building called the Little Sister Orphanage, owned by Fontaine Futuristics. So this is where we find her, her audio log. Now, the Little Sister Orphanage is fucked. It was created by Frank Fontaine in his heyday, one of his many businesses. Was this just to harvest girls for the Little Sister? Is this where the name came from? Yes. Okay. So a few of them were set up all over the city. Little girls were brought here, fed, kept safe. But on the sly, Frank Fontaine was using the orphanage to bring in children to pass on to Tenenbaum and Suchong to turn into little sisters. We love it. Yeah. So he, good. He quite literally used the orphanages to harvest little sisters. It's the orphanage where they get their name. At the top of the building is where Atlas planned his war. 
So we see his headquarters, all of his stuff. You'll also see up here on the right is a poster, a Sander Cohen musical, Patrick and Moira. We see these posters throughout. It's where he got the idea for his Atlas's wife, Patrick, and his son, Moira. Yeah, that's quite... not, that's wrong around. Sorry, wife Moira and his son Patrick. <laughs> that, you know, it didn't, never even existed. Though, though it was probably a corpse in that bathosphere. Atlas probably blew it up to stage the whole thing. You know, it's yeah, whole thing. So, this is where he planned his war, and it's also unfortunately where Diane McClintock died. No. Oh. An audio diary sits next to her body. An audio diary recorded. So we find the one where she says, "Atlas will be so pleased," and then it cuts short. We find out what happens afterwards. So we, f we hear Frank Fontaine and he says, Never play a man for the short con when you can play him for the long one. Atlas is the longest con of all. Ryan wanted Frank Fontaine dead. I just gave him what he wanted. As Atlas, I got a new face, a clean record, and a fresh start. Now it's time to take back Rapture and there's a rustle. Di McClintock enters the office and we hear her recording her own audio diary being like, Atlas will be so pleased. Fontaine whirls around and it is clear that she heard him speaking without the friendly Irish drawl, talking about his con. And he goes, Miss McClintock, he says, what are you doing here? Let me just turn this off. And then dead. So presumably he turned it off and killed her. Uh, when, when, like, he tried to be Atlas for a second, realized that the con was gone and, and killed her to keep the secret. Welp. It seems like Fontaine wasn't the only one who used charity as a front for his sick experiments, though. Su Chong had his own clinic among the poor houses of Rapture, this, this doctor that experimented on mm -hmm. people. A free one, according to his sign on the door. But inside, that's, that's not on in Rapture. No. They don't like that. And inside, it is clear he was just using it as a front to experiment on the sick and needy. Oh, it's Big Daddy. He's also dead. Oh, okay. Dressed in a lab coat, he's been pinned to his desk by a huge Big Daddy drill through the gut. His final moments are recorded for us to hear. Clinical trial protector system plasmid lot 255, he says. Client, Ryan Industries. Very frustrating day. I can't seem to get the damn Big Daddies to imprint on the little brats. The protection bond is just not forming. In the background, we hear two little sisters tugging at his lab coat. Papa Suchong, Papa Suchong! Get away, he snaps at them. Don't touch me, you filthy little shit! There's a hard smack. One of the little sisters starts to cry, but that crying is drowned out by the loud, metallic groaning of a big daddy as it enters the room. <laughs> what? Suchong gasps. What are you doing? Get back! Get back! And we hear a drill whirring, and it swallows up Suchong's screams, as presumably the big daddy drills in so hard that the drill literally gets popped off of his arm when he tries to pull it out. Well, dead. Suchong, dead. Suchong might be dead, though, but thankfully his formula is still intact. Wait, what was what was he meaning by the protection bond? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good question. So... Because that feels like that that's a pretty good protection bond right there. Absolutely. It's an interesting one, because quite literally, the big, the big daddies... I won't give too much away. We will learn in later games ah. that the big daddies and the little sisters were able to bond prior to this moment with Su Chong, but Su Chong did not understand the bond. It was like, the, 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 there was a genetic bond, but somebody else figured that out, not him. Uh... Uh, and his, his whole thing was like, I just don't get it. I don't know how it works. And there's doesn't seem, my versions of this protection bond aren't working. I can't replicate this scientifically. Bear in mind, he's, he's managed, he's very good with programming the mind. That's what happens to the big daddies. It's quite literally brainwashing. They make a connection between the little sister and the big daddies. To make them want to. Protect. Do we know they are? So, so the big daddies are people. They're biological. They're yes, all... yes, they are. Why not just make them robots? I, I feel like if they, it's only there for protection, you got protection bots. Just make some protection robots. You got a bunch of people. 
that you can experiment on rather than build it from scratch. Yeah, you're going to need resources for that. Yeah, but you're going to need resources for that where you've cheaper. got second needy people. Yeah. Uh, all sorts of people were turned into big daddies. We're not going to get into that today. That is, is, that, is that a Bioshock 2 thing? That is a Bioshock 2. I feel like now that we're saying this all, I do remember somebody saying the big daddies play a bigger part in Bioshock 2. They massively play a, big, play a bigger part in Bioshock 2. Won't say more there. Okay. Uh, won't give anything away. So anyway, so Su Chong dead. And yes, the, the, it was a genetic, bo- not a, a brainwashing bond of some form. And he just could not figure out the formula. Because um, um, he doesn't have emotions. He doesn't understand love. Yeah, he's just a scumbag. Su Chong's the worst. So, um, yep. So uh, Jack grabs this tonic, this plasmid thing, this undoes the brainwashing, downs it. Boom. Fantastic. Free from Fontaine's control. Um, all right. So ten of, yeah, it's, it's all very quick now. Like It's just things are just kind of happening. Tenenbaum is like, that's it. You're a free man. You've got your agency back. Something, something free will, something, something objectivism, yada, yada, yada. You're free to go and take some revenge on Frank Fontaine. He's in Point Prometheus. Go and kick his ass. And we enter. Why does she know where he is? Uh, I don't know. Looks at the cameras. Oh, no, actually, I'll tell you exactly how she knows. The little sisters told her. They're in the vents. They oh, know what's always happening. That they, makes more yeah, sense. They report back. So, yeah, so part eight, the ending. So heading up to Point Prometheus, Fontaine gives us another ring because he loves his monologues almost as much as Andrew Ryan did. And he goes, but he's angry now. And he goes, you broke the spell? Laying all your chips on Mother Goose, huh? Well, it's not like you've been double-crossed before, eh? Fine. Hoof it to point, Prometheus. We'll discuss this like men. You, me, and more Adam than you could possibly imagine. Point Prometheus is where the big daddies were created and where the little sisters were officially experimented on. It's a laboratory and a factory all in one. This is not hidden. People knew this existed. They knew this happened, and they just let it happen. And I want you to remember, Fontaine had the orphanages. He set up the little sister sort situation. But Ryan, remember, he got all all of Fontaine's businesses in the hostile takeover. So this is Andrew Ryan's stuff. That's what we're seeing. Wait, so we're... So the Big Daddies were not a thing during Fontaine's reign. They, ab- was... they were. They one million percent were. But this is mm-hmm. this is a Ryan thing. Mm-hmm. This is not a Fontaine thing. Ryan inherited the Little Sisters and the Big Daddies. I'm actually going to get into this. It does get confusing. I've got a timeline for you and everything. Oh, but great. You're kind of going to need to know this moving forward for Bioshock 2. Okay. So... I feel like I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely have to play Bioshock One in the interim, or I will forget all this. Uh, Fine, we'll just re-listen to it. So anyway, so as we're heading through, Jack gets classic some ghostly flashes. Oh, Jack can see ghosts. It's a whole thing. Don't worry about it. Yeah, (laughs) first again, as you do. So uh, he sees a little sister caged in what looks like a meat locker, begging Su Chong for help. Please, Papa Su Chong, I don't want to go on the table. Fontaine sees us in person. He sees us like at the top of some stairs and he starts cacking like a madman, but there's something a little bit off about him, it seems. Like he's he's a little bit bigger, he's a little bit warped, he's wincing a bit, something going on. He starts to throw huge bursts of fire at us. He's using the incinerate plasmid, he's throwing fire and there seems to be something off. Like he's drunk on Adam. He seals himself in the tower and there's just one big door now between us and him. Tenenbaum calls us up on the radio and is like, the only way to get through that door is to have a little one open it for you. And they'll only trust you if you look like, sound like, and even smell like one of those big stinking brutes. You're going to need to turn yourself into a big daddy. Huh. 
The little sisters, as we learn, were bred to imprint on certain smells and pheromones. So not only do we need to put on a massive big daddy suit, but we need to twist up our genes so we give off those pheromones. So let's talk about the whole little sister big daddy plasmid thing because there's a little bit of confusion in the fan base for reasons that very much annoy me, but we will get to another day. So are, are, are we physically turning ourselves into a big daddy or are we just disguising? No, you said genes, so yeah. you're, like, are, you're are turning yourself into a big, big daddy. daddy. Not quite mindless. Everything else, yes. So I'm just going to lay out my understanding of the timeline so we're all on the same page. This might be wrong because quite literally, spoilers for when we cover future stuff, things get retconned very frustratingly. This is how I understand it. So, 1946. Is this how you understand it as of this game or how you understand it as of the information that's added in Bioshock? This is how I understand it before the retcons. Cool, 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 cool. 1946, Rapture gets some citizens. It opens up. 1948, Fontaine, Tenenbaum, and Suchong start creating plasmids and selling them. 1949, because Rapture's maintenance is so tricky, being underwater, Andrew Ryan creates Big Daddies to look after maintaining Rapture. Oh. So, so they're not they're nothing to do with the Little Sisters at this point. They're literally just maintenance workers. The big suits, the drills, that's all so they can work on the ocean floor without, you know, the pressure of the ocean crumpling yeah. them. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, so because of 1952, because of the rarity of the Adam slugs, Fontaine, Tenenbaum, and Suchong experiment on little sisters, turning them into Adam factories. 1950s to make more superpowers. Mm. 1957, some early splicers start to, to by this point, people are a little bit addicted. They start to target little sisters to try and harvest them for Adam. Fontaine Futuristics, Fontaine starts creating new big daddies. Did, so were the little sisters just allowed to out and wander about at this point? Like, were they just about in the vents? No, they were kind of like kept, they, they kept them like in, in lockers and stuff. Then why were they known about? Uh, why'd the splicers know about them? None of it's illegal. Sure, it's not illegal, but why would you publicize it? Because uh, that feels like you're just inviting, oh, we've got an infinite source of Adam here. Well, I mean, why, why, Come why, on, get your fill if why, you can kill him. Why would you publicize anything in research papers? You know, like, because the whole point, remember, was Rapture was going to be a utopia that went on for hundreds of thousands of years. You keep, keep going forever until cool, humanity cool, dies. Cool, 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 cool. So there's cool, a cool, research cool, cool. thing. Cool. That's very goodwill and helping others for not free. I disagree. The research paper ideas are getting clout, you're getting, you know, you're, you're, you're establishing your legacy. Cool, grand. I feel like in a society like this, it would be kept very internal to a company. You wouldn't be publicizing this because there's you, you don't want somebody else then taking that idea to further their business. Yeah. Look, I don't have any more for you there. I'm just I'm just laying out the timeline for you. Okay, so look. Also, research papers are very goodwill. Like for any scientists in there that don't already know, go fucking. If you don't want to pay for a journal because journals are bullshit, go email a researcher that you find on like archive. Ask them for it. They will send it to you. Ninety percent of the time, they'll just send you the paper. They don't give a shit about the journals. They just get in there because they need to. Go ask for your papers. It's all goodwill. It's researchers funny. love people. <laughs> go stalk people on LinkedIn. I mean, yes. <laughs> 1957. So early splicers start doing their things and Fontaine creates new big daddies, new ones to explicitly protect little sisters. Okay. So did, did he just replicate the concept or was Ryan kind of like, was he working with Ryan to make these big daddies or did he just steal the idea? Fontaine and Ryan never worked together. It was Fontaine, Suchong and Tenenbaum at the time. So he just saw them, saw them wandering about and he's like, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. pretty much. He was like, yeah, let's do that, but let's make them do little sister stuff. And the Suchong and Tenenbaum went, sure, another science thing for us to do. We it was like slightly science. weird. They wouldn't just make their own thing, but okay. So regardless, uh, 1958, okay, so he's got his own big daddies. 1958, Fontaine is killed in a firefight, killed, quote, with Andrew Ryan. Ryan takes over Fontaine's plasmid, a little sister business. Tenenbaum disappears underground. Suchong now works for Ryan. Wait. Fontaine's Big Daddies are decommissioned. Frank Fontaine's Big Daddy program is decommissioned and Ryan Industries decides to just alter the maintenance Big Daddies to protect the Little Sisters. It's annoying they don't have different names. Maintenance Big Daddies, the people that worked on on Building Rapture, you've got Fontaine's Little Sister Big Daddies and Ryan goes, why have we got two different types? Let's just, these guys are out of work because Rapture's fine. Let's just turn them. So I'm going to, are are the maintenance ones Mm. mindless? Not until no, not until Ryan does let's okay, do this. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to make a prediction that it will then be Fontaine's big daddies that play the bigger part in Bioshock 2. No comment. I have a slight potentially off-camera <laughs> reason of I know what the cover of Bioshock 2 looks like. It looks different. And it, it is a different looking big daddy. Yes, yes. That was in your picture there. Ryan explains all of his best in an audiologue recorded after he took over Fontaine Futuristics. We find this here. Quote, I'll admit Fontaine showed some foresight when he built up the plasmid business, but the man never really understood sales. Hiding those little girls beneath a bushel, I've just seen the... Pr- oh, there you go. They were hidden. Sorry, there you are. Then why'd the Splicers know about them? Uh, you hear things, rumors, it's a, it's a small city. Only three people knew about these things! Uh, why? Yeah, but, like, if people start to get addicted on the stuff and it's like, well, where does this come from? Like, how? People ask questions. Yeah. yeah. It, people would find out. It's Rapture is not that big. Who's looking after the little girls, yeah. you know? like yeah. Nobody, they're immortal. They don't need looked after. Put yeah. in a locker. They're, they're in a meat locker. But they can be killed, remember? Like, you take the Adam slug out of them and they die. Cool. But they don't need to eat, assumedly. Shove them in the meat locker. Probably need to eat and stuff. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We don't learn any of this. <laughs> so, Ryan says, I'll admit, Fo- I'll admit Fontaine showed some foresight when he built up the plasmid business, but the man really never understood sales. Hiding those little girls beneath a bushel. I've just seen the preliminary design work on the new plasmid machines, and they're exactly what I wanted. Mark my words, presented properly, those little sisters are marketing gold. Oh, for your context, Nubis, uh, plasmids. So plasmids, there were two stages of plasmids. You had early plasmids, which were all about making your dick bigger and making your muscles bigger. You just drink them, big dick, big muscles, all that. And then Ryan came in later and he was like, no, superpowers, electricity, <laughs> fire. Bees! Oh, yeah, you shoot bees you out your wrist. bees out your arm. Yeah, it's no. great. But no, Fontaine was like, so, so when Tenenbaum and Suchon brought it to Fontaine in the book, his literal reaction is like, People could get their dicks bigger. Like, it's a whole thing. Yeah, and then you could change your skin color. It's It gets gross. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole Okay, thing. so to go back to an earlier question, after Fontaine dies, Tenenbaum disappears, but Su Chong is like, eh, new guy will pay for my science. I switch sides. Yes. He's, he's just with whoever's going to pay for his science. Quite literally, Su Chong does not give a shit. Cool. Yeah. Is this the point at which, uh, at which um, Tenenbaum started getting morality, or is... Uh, morality in quotes morality yeah by this point Fontaine has gone underground by before 1958 Tenenbaum disappears she goes underground and she's, she has her change of heart okay. yeah she's not involved in this procedure by this point uh, so yeah so um, blah 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 blah. little sisters are marketing gold but there was some friction with the new big daddy designs 
They needed to be stronger, faster, with better defenses because the Splicers were getting like superpowers and stuff and you know, so that meant more money and Ryan was reluctant to pour any more cost into them. In Su Chong's words, he says, Fontaine, a scary son of a bitch, but Ryan, a cheap son of a bitch. I feel like if they never made the ones that gave you superpowers, None of this would have happened. Yeah, I feel like if, if you'd stuck if you'd stuck to make your dick big. Yeah. Look, the atom bomb led to the hydrogen bomb. You know? It's pretty real life, science-wise. I feel like an isolated underwater city does not mirror. Because I feel like he should have had the foresight to go, I shouldn't be arming the splicers with superpowers that could take me down. Mm. But Ryan's whole thing was like, oh, I've got my own, like, my own, my cops will have weapons eventually. And They're I've got the big so, daddies. yeah, he's yeah. so, like, narcissistic and big-headed that this is going to be, like, the utopia. This yeah. is going to be the best of the best, you yeah. know, like, they don't have this up, up top ones. Like, Andrew Ryan is not a, he, he's not a brilliant man. He's not. I'm sorry any Andrew Ryan stands who have completely misunderstood the concept of Bioshock, but he's not a brilliant man. Do you want to know how he gets his wealth? I did tell you about this earlier. He strikes oil as a young man, and he's got some oil on his grounds, and that's how he, where he gets his money from. That's it. And then he invests it into stuff. That's all he's good for. He's, he talks about sweat your brow. No, he's not a great man. He's not a brilliant man. He has a code he follows, which power to him, but then he breaks that code because he's a massive hypocrite, and money, 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 Like, it's all a... Andrew Ryan is an idiot. He's an egotistical idiot. So, yeah. I feel like Ryan should have... No. Ryan wouldn't have. Ryan didn't care. He broke his rule just so we could get some of Fontaine's money. That's all he cared about. Sure. So yeah, anyway, we're moving on. So In an unrelated, um, I like that you can see fish swimming outside Bioshock. Oh yeah, they're there. You walk past windows and stuff. They're fishing. They're there's, a, there's a sea star on that window. Yeah. I love it. It's great. So anyway, so... Suchong. A sea star? <laughs> Not a starfish. We are like three pages from the end. <laughs> so, sorry. <laughs> Suchong. So we find an audio diary from Suchong where he describes working for Andrew Ryan and he says, Fontaine, a scary son of a bitch, but Ryan, a cheap son of a bitch. You can't reuse protector suits. Take a man, graft skin and organs straight into the suit. Otherwise, suit not work. Ryan says, Big Daddy too expensive. Ryan can go suck egg. <laughs> Direct quote. Wow. Yeah. Ryan can go suck egg. I want to know where the phrase suck egg came from. Yeah, I don't know. Such a weird phrase. It's the first time I've ever heard that. So anyway, men were grafted into Big Daddy suits. They could not take them off. Eventually, we do just that. We transform ourselves into a Big Daddy. We graft ourselves. No drill arm, unfortunately. We still shit with our weapons and use our plasmas, but there's a god-awful fishbowl view, so that's fun, I guess. This is the worst part of the game. Do you get that for the rest of the game? Uh, until the final fight, yeah. Tenabom is like, Das is good! We will make disgusting Frankenstein out of you yet. Fontaine is having none of it. He is like, you don't get it. I've got Rapture now. I got the Atom now. You think that tin suit's even half enough to put the scare in of me? You're a motherless freak whipped up in a half-baked science experiment. I put you on a sub when you were just a sprout. <laughs> I really wound you up with that wife and child bit, didn't I? Oh, me poor Moiron, Patrick. Maybe one day I'll get me a real family. They play well with the suckers. Come on then, kid. Let's finish this. So, uh, free, uh, freak of nature, Jasmine Jolene. Uh, you missed this earlier, but uh, no, but the Jasmine Jolene was a woman, a stripper that Andrew Ryan had sex with. Mm. She then uh, agreed to sell the baby to Frank Fontaine, Tenenbaum, and Suchong. Jack is the baby. Oh. Yeah, it was a whole plan to get a child. We are Andrew Ryan's son, 
and we have been genetically molded to essentially one day kill our father. Oh. Huh. So yeah, so that's what oh. we are. So anyway, uh, we summon a little sister who crawls through some vents, um, and she opens doors. Uh, cute and incredibly tedious and frustrating escort mission where the little sister slowly walks around, takes Adam from corpses while we fight off splicers, and keeps like pestering us with stuff like, hop, hop, Mr. Bubbles, look, it's an angel. It's like, it's so annoying. It's the worst bit of the game. I think, I think Bioshock is a goddamn masterpiece, except for this. This is real garbage. Um, and, and to be honest, Ken Levine and many people at Irrational, the developers of the game, they agree. They do not think this is good. In fact, Ken Levine, and I won't tell you much more about what he's about to apologize for, but Ken Levine has apologized publicly for the ending of Bioshock in the past. He has. I will tell you what that okay. is in a minute. Because wow. uh, we're getting there. This is the end. Uh, so, <clears throat> when all is said and done, Jack arrives at the chamber of Frank Fontaine. And this is what Ken Levine apologizes for. He is a gig he's gigantic, muscles bulging, veins pulsing. He's got an eerie translucent blue coursing through him. He's naked. He's no underwear. He's plugged into a gigantic atom pumping machine. The super juice is making him stronger, but his strength carries madness and rage. He is as monstrous on the outside as he is on the, on the inside. Words. Uh, this is what he's apologized for. Ken Levine has literally tweeted in the past, sorry for, uh, it's, it was a... Uh, Oh, it was, he's a Jewish man, and there's a day uh, in the Jewish religion, I do not remember the name of it, where you are to apologize for something. And this is what he apologized for uh -huh. on Twitter. He went, sorry for Naked Atlas, guys. <laughs> That's what the tweet says. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, just for but you don't, you don't see anything. This is like, this, no, it's not, it's not even the fact that you see something. It's just this is a garbage boss fight. Oh. It is not in keeping with the depth, the craft, all the beautiful moments you've witnessed so far. This is just a giant blue man that throws fire at you, and it's garbage. It's really garbage. But before we get there, before a boss fight ensues... Yes. Maybe this is just because I haven't played it. I like this building up to essentially the ultimate splicer. You say that, but Especially that's not Frank being... Fontaine. He's a con man. His brains are what make him so brilliant. But this is just started, a brute. But he started using this... He, once he got a hold of the Atom and started using that to enhance mm -hmm. his con... Yeah. Like, I feel like he would have been using it more than anyone else yeah. to enhance his cons. Uh, I guess. I don't know. I just, I just, I don't like, nobody likes this. Everybody who plays this moment in the game, trust me, the pay, maybe I've made it more, more accessible for you. The pacing of the game feels like, what is happening? This is so video gamey. It's too much. So anyway, uh, so, so as we're, we're, we're on our way up to him, he's, he's monologuing again. Has he been locked up here the whole time? No, he's, he's been popping up, throwing things at us, throwing rubble in us, locks doors behind him, and he's been up here for maybe about an hour. Oh, okay. Just juicing up, basically. <laughs> so, Getting juiced. as we're on our way to him, he says, I remember when me and the crowd put you on that sub. You were no more than two. You were my ace in the hole. But you were the closest thing I ever had to a son. And that's why this hurts. Betrayal, kid. Life. It ain't strictly business. God, he is such a mobster. Mm. And that's what you saw earlier. Uh, the picture of Frank Fontaine, the fan art. Life ain't strictly business. That's what, uh, That was his yeah. quote. Q, boss fight. Uh, Fontaine throws fire and ice and electricity at us. He mashes us into the metal and concrete of the floor. The fight is long and hard. He summons splicers and, and security boss. As a video game boss, is it a good boss? No, it's not. Okay. He commits my number one video game boss in, which is he summons grunts to help him. You're fighting security boss. You're fighting splicers while he's running around throwing stuff. It's not a good fight. Um, but anyway, the fight is long and hard, and eventually Jack and Fontaine lie exhausted on the ground. Fontaine starts to crawl towards, towards us, preparing to finally finish the job. I had you built, he says. There he is. You can see him properly now. 
Naked Atlas. Yeah, he goes, I had you built! I set you topside! I called you back, showed you what you was, but you was capable of! Even that life you thought you had, that was something I dreamed up and I tattooed inside your head! Now if you don't call that family, I don't know what is. And now... But he doesn't get to finish that sentence. As he reaches for us, there's the patter of tiny feet. Hmm. Dozens of them. Yes. Oh no! And then out of the darkness come the little sisters, their needles in hand. Yeah. They come out of the ground, they come out of the vents. Together, they drain Fontaine of all of his Adam. Jack watches exhausted and falls unconscious to the sound of tiny stabbing sounds. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? It's, I like this. This is poetic justice. This is fantastic. I love him. Yeah. When he awakens. I also like that he looks like a bronze statue. Right? Yeah, he looks like uh, the Atlas He statue. looks like the Atlas statue. Yeah. Which is the idea, I think. Uh, anyway, so yeah, this is great. This is a great death for Frank Fontaine. I just don't like the boss fight or the escort mission before it. But anyway. When Jack awakens, the little sisters, the ones cured by Tenenbaum's formula, the ones saved by us, hand us the genetic code. We hear Tenenbaum's closing words preparing for the end of the game. They offered you the city. And what did you do instead? What I have come to expect of you. We see a bathysphere rise from the depths and break into the cool light of day above the water. You saved them, Tenenbaum continues. You gave them the one thing that was stolen from them. A chance. We see Jack reach out, a large hand closing around a small, fragile one. I still feel like those tattoos are thematic somehow. Oh no, I can tell you right now, the tattoos are thematic because he was literally a prisoner, oh, a yeah. slave. Yeah, That's quite true. literally a slave. Um, yeah, so anyway. Um, so we see a large hand close around a small, fragile one. A chance to learn, Tenenbaum says, to find love, to live. We see the little sisters grow from a child to a teenager, from a teenager to an adult. And in the end, what was your reward? Tenenbaum muses. You never said, but I think I know. We see Jack in a hospital bed. His final moments. Surrounded by the little sisters he saved and who saved him. Aww. A family, Tenenbaum finishes. But what if he killed them all? What's that ending? Okay, so I'll tell you, and the credits roll. <laughs> <laughs> I was teared up at the end there. Uh, right, okay, so here's the thing. Yes, if you kill them all, I've not got pictures, I'll just tell you. Um, so this, first off, this is the canonical ending to Bioshock 1. Canonically. Oh. This is how it ends, okay? It, I like it. It's poetic. I like it. It is. It's very nice. You get the little sisters. They grow up and they're with Jack in his final moments. I think it's it's lovely. People talk about this as, quote-unquote, the Hallmark ending. You know, like a Hallmark movie. Yeah, so what? But yeah, exactly. Look, Bioshock is a very dark game. There's lots of darkness in I've here. I like this. Did Ben and Ben come no. up with him? Uh, I will... Or did she stay in Rapture? I think she stayed. Right now? Unknown. You will find out. Why is that unknown? Because it's not answered in this game. That feels dumb. No, not answered in this game. So I will tell you more another day. Sorry, what were you saying? Uh, yeah, I've only been here for like maybe an hour and a half tops mm. in this game. And what I've witnessed is bloody horrific mm. and so why not have a hallmark ending mm -hmm. that's really nice i agree this is the ending that they planned this was the ending they wanted okay uh, you missed this earlier but there's a choice system as you know which influences good ending and bad ending this is the good ending the canonical ending uh ken levine and, and co they did not want an, another ending but they were forced to by the producers because it was time. it was the thing it was the thing at the time your mass effects all of that your ending changes depending on your choices so the other ending <laughs> Is, is very short. So, that feels like it's out of spite. 
It it does it is a little, it does feel a little bit out of spite. <laughs> Quite literally, the little sisters they offer Jack the genetic key, and Tenenbaum monologues at the same time. I don't remember exactly what she says, but she she is very similar. She basically is like they offered you the city, and what did you do instead? What I have come to expect of you, and it cuts. And I can't remember what Tenenbaum says, but long story short, it turns out that Rapture had nukes all along, and now the yeah, and now the little sisters and the splicers have been unleashed upon the surface world, and we're going to nuke and destroy the world. That <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I will find it and I will show you. Wow. It's real, real <laughs> shit. It's real garbage. Uh, yeah. I love it. Brilliant. Love that. And bear in mind for like a young audience, that's the ending they got. <laughs> so there you go. Bioshock 1, one of the, one of the greatest games oh. ever made. That was good. What did you think? I like it. I dig it. Any good? Uh, it finished downloading while we were doing this, um, so I'll play it when I get home. Give it a whack. Uh, uh, the atmosphere—it's—it's it's creepier than I've given it credit for. It is—it's there are sections of this. Is it meant to be a horror game? No, but there are elements that feel like horror. I, I feel like it was it, parts of it were giving me somewhat Resi survival horror. Yeah. Not all in the same. It, it feels very much a product of its. I, I feel like you wouldn't get a Bioshock in the same. Like it, I'm getting. Portal, I'm getting Fallout, I'm getting Resi. It all feels very product of this generation of game, which uh, I mentioned all felt weirdly somehow at a high level a bit samey. So there are games like um, like Atomic Heart, right, that came out this year that tries to do the Bioshock thing, which is we have created a fascinating world built off of one political philosophy. Um, experience the robots. this. Uh, yeah, the robots and all that. And, and Atomic Heart doesn't really stick its landing at all. Um, so I've heard. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. It's not, like, in my top 10 games of the year, not even close. But I appreciate that people are still... Because I think this format of game, this... this We've created a world. The world is the point. The world is all that matters. It's it's a bit of a lost art right now. It is. Uh, Atomic Heart is one of the first ones to do it in a long time, where it's just first person, you're going through a world, audio diaries, learn about what happened. Um, and this is one of the greats. It really, really is one of the greats. Bioshock 2 was not developed by Irrational. It was developed by 2K Marin. Ken Levine was not involved. Oh. So is it not as good? I believe it is not as good. I still think it's very good. I feel... The gameplay is better. I feel like from what I've heard, Hmm. at a high level, from my understanding, is the general consensus is people prefer it. Bioshock 2? Yes. They prefer the game. No, no. They prefer the gameplay. They prefer the gameplay, and it doesn't have a. a, a, Bioshock 1, to be frank, dips after the Frank Fontaine review. It does. Because it feels like it goes on a little bit too long. You're like, okay, well, I've been built. Psychologically, you've been building yourself up. You kill Andrew Ryan. The twist is fantastic, and you go, oh, wow. And then the game goes, right, you got three hours of gameplay, give or take, left. Two full levels. Sometimes, arguably three. Um, mm. It's a whole thing. And it feels like, oh, it's going a little bit long. Bioshock 2 doesn't have that problem structurally. Bioshock 2 just can't recapture the greatness. And also, I would argue, I would argue deep within my core, that Bioshock 2's handling of its philosophy is not nearly as clever as Bioshock 1's is. Bioshock 1 is on the nose, objectivism bad. Bioshock 2 is all about collectivism. It is quite literally the opposite philosophy, selflessness, collectiveness. Uh, and it tries to make points that constantly be undermined by, and you know that it takes place in Rapture, it's constantly undermined by, yeah, but we're also trying to build this philosophy on the bones of an objectivist dystopia that is now like falling to bits. You, you know, and, and the villain is very good. So does, does somebody else come down? I'm not going to tell you. Okay. I'll give you no spoilers. What I will tell you, Chase, 
is, I'm not going to give anything away, and I really don't want you to look anything up. I won't. Um, is you have heard the name of the villain of Bioshock 2 in today's video, and you won't remember. I hope that it's the have. theater guy. Uh, what I'll tell you is, is that it's not the theater guy. Uh, I'll tell you is it's Atlas, Andrew Ryan, Frank Fontaine, all that story ended. We're not doing this. It is a sequel to Bioshock. But we're going to finish up there. Uh, we're going we're gonna to call it an end. Uh, first off, Nubis, thank you very much for joining us for the little bit that you did. No worries. Good to have you. Thanks. I always like it when you're in the room. <laughs> Chase, thank you for doing this. This is proper like old times. This this is what this episode was with the oh. with, without the chaos of news coming and going and you know um, <laughs> also that. So so um, we are not doing Bioshock Two next. What we're doing next is and normally I like to do a tease, but just so there is no lack of confusion. Next video will be Red Dead Redemption One, then Undead Nightmare, and then we're doing Bioshock Two and the rest of Bioshock. That's what we're doing. So feel free to, to, to wait to watch this one until Red Dead and you can watch them in order. Yeah. I mean... But also watch it. They're at the end of this video at this point, so... <laughs> so yeah, no, uh, we got the Discord below. Join the Discord. Smash that like button. Don't like that. I've, I've always wanted to say it. I've always, I've always wanted to say... Bucket list ticked. I feel like a real YouTuber now. Subscribe to the channel for when we get to... Um, no spoilers for Chase, but the real insanity of the, the rest of Bioshock. Uh, Is this not the real insanity? No, it's not. Not even close. Not even close. This is an excellent series that goes just, off the deep end. Okay, so just to say, for what I know, going forward, all I know is, from, or from what I understood is that people prefer Bioshock 2. It seems that I'm only half right about that. But I do know that it seems people generally did not like Infinite. Infinite, from what I know, is universally, not panned, but universally disliked comparatively. I like Infinite a lot. I like what it tries to do. I hate Burial at Sea with every fiber of my being to the point that I choose that it is not, that it doesn't exist. I choose it doesn't exist, um, even though it technically is. Is it a DLC? I'm not going to tell you anything about Burial at Sea. We'll get to it when we get to it. Um, Infinite is, is when it released, everyone loved it. Um, and then as time went on, history has not been kind to it. People have looked back on it. I'm still very fond of it. It is not Bioshock 1. Oh. It is the worst of Bioshock 1, 2, and 3. It is the worst. Um, okay. But I have real fondness for it for many reasons. So it's the worst, but the bar is high with it. Uh, its political messaging is messy is an understatement. Yeah. But we're going to get to that when we get to it. We're okay. going to finish up here. Cool. So, um, so here's a little tease for what you're in for next. Bill, I implore you think about this. <laughs> you implore me? <laughs> you implore me. You always were one for fancy words. I, I implore you to go back and tell them to send someone just a little bit more impressive next time. What was your favorite part of that tease, Chase? The cow pokes! The cow but there pokes. wasn't enough Lenny. Um, so anyway, so thank you very much for listening, and we will see you in the next one. Say bye-bye, everybody. Love bye. you all.